0: Hello everyone and welcome to the new episode of the Long and Winding Royal Road. My name is W.H. Park and uh, of course this show is about my favorite era of professional wrestling and that is the 1990s era of all Japan pro wrestling and uh, this is episode, oh I think it's episode 12 and so it's one of our biography episodes and so we're gonna be talking about the, the next man in line after Mitsuhara Misawa, after Toshiaki Kawada, uh, on, in the pecking order of the four pillars of heaven, and that would be Kenta Kobashi. And I thought, who should I get to do this show with me about Kenta Kobashi? Oh, I know. Someone who knows enough about him to write an article about, like, His best matches and and put it up and and I read that article and I thought the only man that can help me on this show is one Case Lowe from Voices of Wrestling from the Open the Voice Gate podcast. Case, how are you, sir?
1: Oh, my God. That's uh, first of all, I'm doing very well. I appreciate the introduction because when you invited me to do the show, I was like, man, I feel like he could have found someone. Better for this, uh, you know, I typically stay off in my own little Dragon Gate bubble. Even the last time we talked, we were talking about Jushin Thunder Liger, but we were talking about a match of his against Ata from Dragon Gate. But now we're really stepping into another territory and, you know, talking about a man that I, I I will say up top, I love this man. I love Kenta Kobashi. I love him as a wrestler. I love his social media presence. I love everything about this man, and I'm so glad that I'm here to talk to you about him. Well, I mean,
0: thank you for, for joining me on this. I, I think, you know, the thing about Kenne Kobashi for me, just as kind of like a start to, to the discussion about him, is like I will always say among the four pillars, Toshiaki Akiwada is my favorite of the four pillars because I love his story within the context of the, the other three the most. I think he has the best story. Um, but as an overall wrestler, I think Kenna Kobashi is probably – my favorite wrestler of all time. It always kind of fluctuates between him and like, say like Jumbo Saruta or like Jushin Liger or Brian Danielson or, or someone like that, or Ricky Steamboat. Like I'm always like, Oh, who's my favorite this, this, this month. Right. But a lot of times it just falls back to Kenne Kovashi because I think he is the perfect baby face in the history of professional wrestling.
1: Well, I'll throw this at you off the top and this is a very lofty statement, but it's, it's one that I feel qualified enough to make Over the past seven months or so, uh, our good friend Alan Forel and I have been doing shows on Pro Wrestling Torch about who we think the greatest in-ring wrestler of all time is. And, And we've done tons of research. We've watched copious amounts of wrestling, an unhealthy amount of wrestling, most people would say. And at the end of the process, I came away with the idea that Kenta Kobashi was the greatest wrestler of all time. Now, this was a project that was also done in 2016. At the time, I voted him number two behind a, a man that we'll mention at some point later on in the show, uh, someone also from this era of all Japan. But to me, it's, it's pretty simple at this point in my life. I think Kobashi's the greatest to ever do it. I think he is the embodiment of what pro wrestling should be and what pro wrestling is at its very best. And yeah, no one uh, in the ring, I, I think, is more talented than him, you know, within the four pillars, within the context of wrestling, any promotion, any era. To me, Kenta Kobashi is as good as it gets.
0: And I I look at his career and to me, like for what I, I consider to be a perfect wrestling career, he has a near perfect wrestling career he was part of two like three actually three amazing tag teams he he had he's part of one of my favorite tag teams of all time that that being burning with Junakiyama. he's had like amazing title reigns like uh he he was the ace of a company in pro wrestling noah um but it's it's his i don't know like it's it's his, like his intangibles that i think make him an amazing pro wrestler and i think makes him an like this Incredible babyface, the best in the history of of the, of the business, and like this is this is someone who comes from a a background of of a professional wrestling scene that doesn't really, you know, like emphasize babyface heels or those kinds of dynamics. But like if you if you plucked him out of all Japan and you stuck him in the WWE or or WW WCW or something like that, I think he would get over because like he just has that charisma that would draw you in, and you just want to get behind him and cheer for him and want to see him defeat whoever he's across the ring from.
1: Yeah, I think there's a very scientific way of trying to analyze his greatness, where you can look at the duration of his career and you can say, okay, well, his first great match was in the summer of 1989, him and Jumbo against Tim and Hansen from Cork and Hall. It's a fantastic match if you've never seen it. Uh, and you can really make an argument that for the next close to 20 years, I would say probably 89 through 2007, I'll give him an 18-year period there where Kobashi is legitimately great at times from 93 onwards in the conversation for being the best wrestler on earth, assuming he's healthy. And then you look at that time period there of just the sheer volume of great matches, and you could say, okay, I can make the scientific argument that with this in mind, I think Kenta Kobashi is the best to ever do it. Kenta Kobashi is also somebody that just passes the eyeball test. And I think Ric Flair is someone that that has this advantage for him. I think Jumbo Saruta in certain cases, even uh, like Masawa is a very frustrating wrestler for me. I certainly don't feel this way about Masawa, but I know people do where they look at him in the ring and, go, and they go, yes, this is the best guy to ever do it. For me, it's simple. I watch Kenta Kobashi and I, it's, you know, regardless of anything that I can properly analyze in a way that is really definable and concrete. For me, it's a feeling. And when I watch this guy, I feel like he is the best to ever do it. So I, I'm delighted to be here. Yeah. So what
0: what was your first exposure to, to Kenne Kobashi? When did you discover the greatness of this man?
1: I was trying to think about that earlier today. I, I would say just in terms of like the actual year, it was sometime probably towards the end of 2012 into early 2013. Because I remember his retirement show. And I remember that being like a thing that was on my radar and that I was aware of. This is all in the time period where I was getting really into ring of honor and the idea of indie wrestling. And if you dive into ring of honors history at all, you're going to quickly come across Samoa Joe versus Kenta Kobashi. And I, I, I don't, I think that match is uploaded for free on ring of honors YouTube channel. Now at the time, they just had the entrances, which was the copious amounts of streamers that Kobashi got when his name was called. And I, you know, was just like, oh, my God, I've I've never seen a reaction like this. Uh, yeah, that was probably the first time I had seen streamers in a wrestling ring. And I was like, this is this is incredible. Who is this guy? And you quickly start to find out, OK, uh, Dave Meltzer, who was certainly on my radar at the time, he has this list of five star matches. If you look at the list of five star matches, Kenta Kobashi's name comes up quite a bit. And then from there, it was just going one match after another after another after another, and it snowballed not only into uh, you know a borderline obsession with with Kobashi and with Noah or with all Japan, but Japanese wrestling as a whole. And Kobashi is really the catalyst for that. With the first match that I I, I remember watching from him specifically being the Kobashi versus Masao match from March first, two thousand three. Which I'll make another lofty statement very early on of this podcast. I think that is the greatest pro wrestling match of all time and there's a, a few different matches that I think rival it. I would certainly hear an argument for a number of different matches, but I just rewatched 3103 right before we started recording this and it's just unbe- it's unbelievable how good that match is and how good those two guys are. And something about the physicality, about the intensity, especially that Noah match where Masawa is is bigger. We'll say he, he was certainly in better shape, you know, 10 years prior to 2003 and Kobashi at this point has so much muscle on him. Seeing that level of physicality and intensity from heavyweights is something that at least for me at the time was, was a foreign concept almost because in American wrestling, you know, it would be like Kevin Nash or you know, in 2012, I think Ryback was big at the time. So looking at guys that have bodies and that have physiques and are that big, but are also killing each other, you know, with, you know, the tiger suplex off the ramp, the burning hammer at the end, among other things, it all spoke to me in this incredibly impactful way. And that was really the start of my journey. And I guess for eight or nine years of my life now, Kent Kobashi has been a reoccurring character. So
0: I, I rewatched that match today too, because like you, you sent me a list of like, you would, these like three matches, the ones I, I kind of want to have a more, in that discussion about it. And that was one of them. And I watched it again today. And I was like, that match is awesome. Like, God, I, I I hadn't watched it in a long time. And I was just like amazed my, I think though my favorite spot, like a lot of people will say that the tiger suplex off the ramp, which I just (laughs) watch that now. And I'm just like, I I think I popped again, like out of my seat. I was like, Oh my God. Like the way Masawa. Oh no, no. The way Kabashi lands almost, on top of his head it, off the it's, ramp it's, it, it's, it's it's like freaking absurd
1: it's unbelievable like i i just don't have the mindset of yeah throw me on my neck off of this ramp why not and i certainly respect the people that that oblige uh, themselves and and do that to themselves because it's really incredible but my favorite spot
0: is the the elbow seceda from like from the from the ring onto the ramp Mm. Like he's not going onto the floor, which is what he normally would do. Like, and that being Masawa, but he just like, he dives because of, like, the, this man's got more weight than like 10 years ago. He's, he's in, he's banged up. He's in terrible condition. He's probably feeling the pain of like, even before this match started, but he, the grace at which he propels himself through the ropes, like to, to uh, like it took kind of a parallel footing as, as the ring, and and just manages to land this this really devastating-looking elbow shot to to Kobashi while he's on the ramp. It's nothing short of amazing, in my opinion, and I just like that's that's maybe my favorite spot in this match. But we'll we'll, we'll talk about the match as we get to... 2003 though just so people understand like this is an all japan centric podcast we're going to talk about that match a bit but most of the stuff we're going to talk about is going to look at kobashi's career in in all japan and we're going to talk i definitely have a discussion about him when he's in pro wrestling noah but but case i guess one thing i want to clarify from you is is i guess you started your fandom of kobashi through pro wrestling noah and then you went back and discovered his work in all japan
1: yeah, that would be correct. And I don't necessarily know if there's a reason for that because, especially at the time, things have tightened a little bit with just the continuing impending doom of international copyright laws. But Noah was very, very accessible on YouTube. And All Japan was, but probably not as much. I don't know why the Green Ring necessarily spoke to me more than than Prime Era All Japan did. But I definitely, I mean, Noah was my first real foray into Japanese wrestling with Kobashi and Masawa and then all caps, Kenta and Takayama was an early favorite of mine and Nakajima from there. So I, I definitely have a special place in my heart for that era more so than prime all Japan, but prime all Japan is arguably the greatest era of wrestling to ever exist. So I must say I'm a fan of it.
0: Yeah. I mean, obviously I'm, I'm devoting, you know, several hours every month, to, to do this like in terms of the research and also watching matches and also talking with, with experts like yourself about, about this era. And, and it's because like, I love it so much. Like I, I look at wrestling today and there's a lot of things I love about wrestling today. There is, but my God, I I just think it pales in comparison to like things that happened in the 1990s, but that's, that's just me like that's just the way i my my mind thinks and how my my fandom goes with with wrestling but but let's get into ken let's get some background on this man he was born in uh he was born on march 27th 1967 in uh fukuchiyama in kyoto he was inspired uh, to become a wrestler by seeing a Jumbo Saruta versus Mill Mascaris match at an all Japan live event. Uh, he was raised in a single parent house by his mother. And uh, because of that, he didn't really have a father figure at home. So he, he kind of has said in interviews that he looked at giant Baba as this fog- father figure to him, even though, even before he became a wrestler, Case. And it's kind of funny how that, like, how his life would turn out to becoming, like, you know, becoming kind of a son as well, like, along with Masawa to to Jai uh, Baba.
1: Well, one of the things that I, I love about that era of All Japan, I guess Prime All Japan, we'll call it, it, it reminds me a lot of current-day Dragon Gate, which is a little bit of an odd comparison, obviously stylistically, but, like, in Dragon Gate right now, there is a real familial environment there. That company seems like a family and you obviously have your face and your heel dynamics. And there are guys on the roster that, that don't get along on screen and probably guys that don't get along off screen, but you feel like there is a real team effort to go out there and support this brand to the best of their ability. And I, I get that sense from nineties, all Japan as well, where obviously you have your, your Masawa versus Kawada and Kobashi versus Masawa and all this and that. But at the end of the day, they are representing the All Japan umbrella. And I kind of think there is a magic to that. And that's something that I specifically latch on to. So the idea of Kobashi, even before he was a wrestler, looking at Giant Baba as a father figure is something that is is quite entertaining to me, quite honestly.
0: Yeah, I mean, you didn't get that sense because especially, you know, in the 80s and, and 90s, you have this immense rivalry in terms of business between All Japan and and New Japan Pro Wrestling. And, and it's, of course, like the basis of that fiber really comes from the rivalry between the two owners and founders of each prospective company and Giant Baba for, for All Japan and, and Antonio Inoki over at, at New Japan. They used to be partners in JWP and then they split off from that company and they formed their own separate promotions, but they were always rivals. I don't think they really got along when, when, when Baba was alive. So it's, 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 you know, it creates this kind of camaraderie among people on each roster, especially I think more so maybe in, in all Japan, because you don't see too many of the exoduses that you have in all Japan that, that, you know, that occur in, in, in all Japan itself. Like new Japan had more exoduses, but like all Japan, like kind of kept it tighter for, for as long as they could before, obviously the big one with Misawa creating for wrestling Noah, but that's after Baba dies. So I don't really count that.
1: No, that's exactly it. Baba was this special glue that held the company together that got Doc Williams out of prison. Uh, He is just a magical man that had uh, an insane amount of power. Whereas, like, recently, I've been reading a lot about Tatsumi Fujinami and his relationship with Inoki. And towards, like, 1988, there was a real idea that Fujinami was going to leave New Japan and go to all Japan. He talked openly about wanting to wrestle jumbo Saruda and how much he appreciated the all japan style and it's it's not that i don't think you know kobashi masawa kawato were not also fans of new japan to some extent but the idea of being so outspoken and bashful of your current employer with the way fujinami was to inoki compared to obviously when baba was alive that, that wasn't happening with the main crew there, and it's a certain reverence that Baba, you know, I mean, I would argue continues to have. I mean, nobody really speaks ill of Giant Baba, nor should they. No, he's still, like, a beloved, like, you know, pop
0: culture icon over there. Like, as far as, like, you know, I was I I was living in Japan for the last 10 years up until, like, this past October. But, like, people point out, like, Noki has a ton of, like, penetration in, in current-day Japanese society, but... I just think there's more of a love for for uh, for Baba because, like, I do think Anoki's kind of like I don't know, prostituted image to the point where it's like he's kind of more like a scene as a kind of like a comedy figure of yeah, sorts no, as well. well so. Yeah,
1: Anoki's uh, insane. Baba's respected. The, the both are equally entertaining, but in different ways. But, but getting back to Kobashi, he he grew up in uh, Fukuchiyama,
0: and, and while in high school, he participated in in judo and rugby clubs. Uh, he would develop an interest in bodybuilding after he graduated high school. An interest that would be kind of further developed by the you know when he joined All Japan, and then uh, coming to to All Japan for tours where the Road Warriors Hawk and Animal and they they found this young Ken Kobashi and said, "Hey, we're gonna help train you." doing bodybuilding while we're doing tours in Japan and, and, you know, like very much he took to it. Like, you know, I don't think you could probably find better, I suppose, uh, mentors to help you develop, you know, like develop a, a really muscle bound body than, than either of the road warriors.
1: No, that is certainly if I, if I was super into weightlifting, especially in the late 1980s, there was no one I would want to have training me more than Hawk and Animal. I think I would have a very different body if I had access to their minds, their weightlifting techniques, and possibly their supplements, too. I I, I would be feeling pretty good about myself if I had Hawk and Animal in my corner. Um,
0: after high school, he went straight to work instead of going the typical route of going to either college or university. Uh, but though the, his big goal was like, as soon as he graduated high school, he wanted to join the All Japan Dojo and, and he, he would apply uh, persistently to, to try to join get accepted into the dojo. But um, the problem was for him, like he didn't have a notable sports background to that, that would impress the people who were like screening all the applications and things like that. But, you know, he didn't, he never gave up. He just, he, he was inspired by the life story of, of Mike Tyson. And he said, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to apply to all Japan. And he, he finally, you know, applied enough times and he would call the dojo and finally he got giant Bob online and giant Bob said, okay, you know what? come to Tokyo and we'll take a look at you. And then he got accepted into the, the all Japan dojo and the rest is history. So it, it, it just goes to show you that even as a civilian case, that this man's like, like, uh, you know, undiable, like undying, like fucking fight fighting spirit, it, like applied to him. And it got him like the, the, the championship he wanted. And that was just to get trained in the, in the dojo.
1: Yeah. The babyface fire, just to get to the dojo is pretty impressive. I have a question for you, and I don't necessarily know if you have an answer for it, but you have the notes here, and you just said it, that Kobashi was inspired by the life story of Mike Tyson, and I, that's that's new information to me. That's something that I was not aware of. I'm also fascinated by Mike Tyson uh, in a similar way that I am Kobashi, but I look at them as two very different people, whereas Kobashi is, you know, like we just talked about, he's trying to do everything the right way. He's very dedicated. Uh, he, he wants this goal. I'm fascinated by Tyson because he's made so many mistakes and done, you know, so many terrible things, but has proven himself, at least in my opinion, to be a very uh, redeeming part of society and a very interesting and remorseful person. Is there a specific part of was Kobashi just inspired by the persistence of Tyson and, you know, his kind of underdog story? Or is there something specific that Kobashi latched onto when it comes to Mike Tyson?
0: I think with Mike Tyson, it was like his background okay and, yeah and how, how it, it it kind of like steered him to become a boxer and how he found success in boxing to like kind of you know improve his lot in life he just like was inspired by like you know mike Tyson didn't come from a you know very affluent you know background he he really struggled to you know growing up as a child and then got into boxing and he became a success and he was inspired by that aspect of him and and you can see maybe draw parallels i mean kobashi's from a single parent family i'm sure there wasn't a lot of money he didn't have. I would imagine he didn't have the money to afford university in Japan, which is very, very expensive. And that's why he decided to, you know, go st- join a company straight, straight away, which is not, you know, something you see too often in Japan. But, you know, like, I mean, I can see where he's like this guy, he became a successful combat fighter. And he just he's like me. He's like, you know, he's, he's he was poor as a kid and he didn't have a lot of money. And but like he, he followed his dreams. I'm going to follow my dreams and I'm going to become a pro wrestler for all Japan pro wrestling.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. I, I had no idea that Kobashi was inspired by Mike Tyson. That's really interesting. Uh in the dojo,
0: he was trained by a different number of different people, including Jai Baba, Dory Funk Jr., uh Kazuharu Sonata, aka Magic Dragon, who had a hand in training a lot of the guys in the dojo at that time, and and the great Masenobafuji. Like case, I don't know like if you could find me better trainers than, than these four.
1: No, I look, I mean that uh, the idea of going to a dojo and getting stressed by Fuchi, just the idea of that will give me nightmares tonight. I can't imagine anything more terrifying than Masanobu Fuchi with the doors closed and and permission to put whatever submission he wants on you. But yeah, between Baba, Dory, Magic Dragon and Fuchi, that's a pretty solid uh, quartet there if you want to get involved in the world of professional wrestling. I mean the, the you know the, the the proof is in the
0: pudding as they say right like who who do they all trained they trained Masawa jump like trained you know Dory trained uh, Jumbo I think he probably trained Tenru as well like you know like Kawada Taike Akiyama Kikuchi. like all these dudes got
1: trained by like a combination of these four right so yeah, it's yeah like, not bad not a bad track record if you're those four I would be hitting my pillow feeling pretty good about myself every night. All right. And from, from there, from
0: the dojo, he, he would make his debut on February 26th, 1988 against a wrestler by the name of Motoshi Okuma. And he retired on May 11th in 2013. And in that match, he teamed with his, his longtime, you know, apprentice, partner, friend, Jun Akiyama, Keishimudo, Kensuke uh, Sasaki and Go Shizaki and Kenta. I, I, sorry. They took those four. Took on Goshizaki, Kenta, his two proteges, Maibak Taniguchi, and Yoshinobu Kanemaru. All these guys had on the opposite side have a connection with Kobashi, and yeah, he had a career that spanned 25 years. Case 25 years of pretty much, you know, I'd say like 20 of those, you know, greatness. 20 years of greatness in that 25 years, and and we're gonna we're gonna talk about each of these years almost.
1: Yeah, let's do it because this is a, a lengthy career and one that is incredibly oppressive every step along the way. So, we're going to start in 1988. And, it, it, you
0: know, people apocryphally say, Chase, that a case that, that he, you know, he would go on to like, by and shine Baba would book Kobashi to lose the next 63 matches of his career. Allegedly, these are all singles matches. But, you know what? I, I took a look at Cage Match, great resource. And, you know, he, he was in some, Tags. He was in some battle royals. He, he didn't lose He wasn't on the losing side of everything, but he wasn't always in, he wasn't in 63 straight singles matches either, but you know, he finally scored a pinfall, a win over a, uh, uh, you know, journeyman wrestler by the name of Mitch snow on May 16th, 1989. And I, and I gotta say, I think the, the kind of the philosophy of giant Baba booking him to lose like, you know, 63 matches, uh, you know, is to, like, one, it's it's common practice in Japan to, for a young wrestler to, like, go on a losing streak and not to gain any wins, especially against people who are higher on the card than him. It's to teach them, you know, humility and be humble and appreciate the success they would find later on in their careers. But I also, I think he saw something in in Kobashi, like, my God, this kid has just, like, this charisma, this, this like, baby face, you know, underdog fire that I'm going to... You know, that's going to come out. It's going to show, even if he's losing in the match, it's going to come through. And that's what people are going to, you know, uh, that's what people are going to be drawn to. And that's what I'm going to develop in him. That's what I'm going to develop with him to the fans. The fans see him lose all these matches in a row. And then they think, I want to see this guy win. I want to see this guy win. So when he does finally win, you know, like the people go crazy for it. But also like 10 years later, after he gets his first win, people still want to see him win because like, they just remember like, the, the the fire and desire he had when he was like a, a rookie in 1988 and 1989 that, that still carries over and when he's like a 10 12 year veteran in the business
1: yeah it, i mean it proves to be a fruitful process obvious obviously just the notion of it's Kent Kobashi, things worked out, but, you know, he gets his first win, like you said, May 16th, 1989 against Mitch Snow. And I, I look forward to joining you on your Mitch Snow biography podcast as well. But two months later, he's in the main event of Cork and Hall, that match I referenced earlier, uh, him and Jumbo against Tenro and Hanson. So you see all of that losing, uh, you know, obviously took up an incredible amount of time, but once he gets that win, he's on a roll. Now he doesn't really start lighting the world on fire until, Arguably nineteen ninety-three, but it's clear within him actually having real matches with real opponents with real stakes that Kobashi is a guy that can hang at a guy that had a very bright future ahead of him.
0: Well, I mean, it, you know, it did it did net net him the Rookie of the Year award from Tokyo Sports in nineteen eighty-nine. So that's a that's a good thing. Even though, you know, Tokyo Sports Awards are, are very political and like not without their own controversy. But I I gotta say that's probably probably an accurate you know, like award given to like the, probably the, the, the most worthy uh, beneficiary.
1: Look, you don't have to talk to me about Tokyo sports rookie of the year being political after Draggate's SB Kento was snubbed this past year. Uh, something that is brought up every week on open the voice gate. We are still not very happy about it, but Kobashi, I mean, if you look at, in terms of the four pillars, people make a big deal about Akiyama's debut and rightfully so, because he was amazing from the jump, but I'm not really crazy about young boy Masawa, and I'm not really crazy about his his time under the hood as Tiger Mask 2. Obviously, once he takes that off, things get pretty good pretty quick. Uh, Kawada's a guy who I think took a lot of time to develop, and he, and he needs about a year or two under his belt before you really start to see Kawada come into his own. I haven't seen a ton of rookie Taui. I don't really know how much is out there, but... I'm assuming, judging from the fact that he, in his prime, was moving around the ring like a baby giraffe, that rookie Tawee's probably a little bit of a tough watch. But Kobashi, by the time he starts making tape in 1989, there is a foundation there. Like he, I, you know, I don't know who else uh, was in the running for rookie of the year that year, but I, I can't imagine they were as good as Kobashi was in the few instances that we saw him that year.
0: Um, yeah, like you were saying, Case, like the first couple of years, you know, for, for Kobashi are, are pretty uneventful. I'm going to say probably the, 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 the big breakthrough that he has is on April 9th, 1990. That's when he and Tiger Mask 2, AKA Mitsuhara Misawa, they would defeat. Uh, perennial all japan uh, all japan all asia tag team champions the can am express of doug furnace and dan Crawford in Okayama. for you know like his first titles were the all asia tag team titles which would which would be kind of apropos to like you know you know kind of the history he has with those belts especially against the can am express
1: yeah no not a bad history there at all uh, i'll match I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about it just a little bit but kobashi the all asia tag titles and the can am express is a pretty good combination all things considered it's also in the summer of 1990, so 1990 becomes
0: like kind of like his year of like okay, he's making those strides from being a young boy rookie to kind of growing, growing and, and getting going up that roster. It's also in the in the summer of 1990 that he forms the uh, the first uh, formation of the Super Generation Army, and that's this a group of consisting of him, uh, Masawa as the leader. Toshiaki Kawada, as you know, the kind of right hand man, uh, him like Kobashi, of course, Akira Tawe, who was originally in in the super generation army, and Tsuyoshi Kikuchi. And it's just like it's this group of like the the top young talents in all Japan at the time that are you know being going to be groomed to take over from Jumbo and from Tenru, and and how. True that would become a lot sooner than than probably Giant Baba expected because of what happens with Tenru. But you know he's I think it's so important that, that Kobashi is associated with these guys so early in his career. But also I think it, it, it's really great that these guys are associated with him as well.
1: Yeah, this is really where things start to turn for Kobashi. He debuts the orange trunks at some point in this time period. I I actually don't know when he locked those in as his primary colors, but this is where you start to see Kobashi literally looked like Kobashi, both in terms of the the colors he was using but also his in ring in the summer of 1990 just from a pure excitement standpoint I, you know I, I watched this stuff all you know for the first time you know 2013 2014 into 2015 so you know history at this point you know what is coming of all of this stuff but from june 1990 onwards with the masao versus jumbo match that whole next 6 months is just fascinating you get so many good multi-man tags you get so many interesting singles matches like i i really like the jumbo versus kobashi match from the summer of of 1990 i'm looking at it right now august 31st 1990 that's a really fun match because kobashi has no shot of beating jumbo like people wanted masawa to beat jumbo and then their dreams came true this was the runt of the litter almost because Especially at this time, it was clearly in the pecking order, Masawa, Kawada, and Kobashi, and for a guy that would end up being known for this fire and this intensity and this charisma, 1990 is an interesting year for Kobashi because in comparison, he does not look as strong as his peers, nor the elder statesman of Jumbo and and his wrecking crew of monsters that were, were willingly beating him up and, and gleefully beating up to beating him up to some extent. So it's an interesting time period for Kobashi. I think he starts to put a lot of stuff together here. And over the next two years, you really start to see the formation of someone that goes from a, a nice mid card wrestler, great fire, good in multi-man matches could always make a big comeback or can sell his ass off. And then as time goes on, you start to see a superstar emerge.
0: Yeah. And part of that is like, you know, he starts consistently, you know, picking up wins over lower card foreigners like like Pika Roberts and and Joel Deaton and being on the winning side of tag matches, including like winning his second All-Asia Tag Team Championships, this time with with Johnny Ace, who would kind of be tied with Kobashi later on. Um, I kind of made this, you know, this kind of uh, analogy or or I presented this theory that I think Baba saw in Johnny Ace, like he's going to be my Gaijin Kira Kobashi. He's going to be the guy I'm going to groom to take over from from Hanson because Hanson's getting older. And like he saw, you know, like he saw something in, in, in Johnny Ace that maybe very few of us actually <laughs> do. But I, I will say this, to be fair, Johnny Ace in All Japan is really fun to watch. I don't think he's ever, he ever reached the pinnacle of someone like Stan Hansen or or, or Terry Gordy or, or Steve Williams. And I don't think he was ever going to, but hey, you know, at the time, like, Baba saw something in him, and he would be kind of tied with Kobashi. Uh, this this team of Ace and Kobashi would also go on to win the All Asia Tag League. Uh, they did that by beating the uh, Fantastics, uh, one of the great junior heavyweight tag teams from from the United States, for working in you know WCW, World Class, the UWF, and all a bunch of other places. And and they would this is how they would win their second championship. And uh, yeah, this team of Ace and Kobashi would also enter the 1990 uh, real world tag league and finish with four wins. That means they got eight points, but it's, you know, this team would then, you know, kind of be on and off, but like later on, they would get more success as a team.
1: Yeah. We'll talk about Johnny Ace more. Cause I guess he does come back into Kenne Kobashi's life. Johnny Ace in all Japan, real fascinating to look at because there were times where I do not understand why this man isn't the company, a real hit and miss guy in a promotion that for the most part is pretty consistently great. And then you have Johnny Ace out there and and we'll, I'll I'll mention one match later on when we get to it, that is a really great match where I think Johnny Ace in particular is really, really good in it, but uh, just a, A puzzling man, his life seems fascinating. The amount of power that he's had at points in the professional wrestling industry doesn't make any sense to me. And the fact that he's such an integral part of Kenta Kobashi's career, especially his early career, is mind-blowing because it just seems like things could have gone so much worse for Kobashi uh, in any alternate timeline.
0: I kind of, I kind of dig the fact that Johnny Ace is kind of tied in with Kobashi so, so early in his career. But let's move on to 1991. It's uh, in 1991 that uh, Kobashi would enter his first champion carnival, and he gets three wins and so a total of six points in that thing. Uh, he also starts teaming more regularly with Yoshi Kikuchi, um, and it, it's in 1991 that the war between the Super Generation Army and Surigan has been, you know, has just ramped up. You know, it, it was it was getting it was get, it was pretty hot in 1998, but it really ramps up because on April 20th, 1991, this is like the, the date of the match where Kobashi, Masao and Kawada, they take on Jumbo Saruta, Masanobu Fuchi and Akira Tawe at Corican Hall. It is what is considered by many, including yours truly here, Case, the greatest six man tag match of all time.
1: I certainly don't have an argument against that. I obviously have a list of of Dragon Gate matches since they in my opinion have perfected the six man tag style that I could I could throw at you but I'm probably taking 42091 as well and if not 52292 the rematch from the following year is nearly on that same level for me so uh, between this six-man tag and then the tag match uh, that I guess I, I, I can't have matches in 92, so never mind there. But it's just you you start to see uh, Kobashi take a bigger focus in these matches. He certainly stands out from the pack in that six-man, whereas I don't think he necessarily did in 1990. And, you know, again, it's it's the start of Kobashi. And you can see this evolution in the booking where, obviously, like we talked about, he lost all of those matches at the beginning of his career. He started to get some wins. He started to get pushed. And then Masawa and Kawada were placed ahead of him. And now he's once again fighting this uphill battle, which I think is Kobashi at his best when the odds are stacked against him.
0: Well, what's interesting is the, you know, the dynamic of what happens when Tawe leaves Super Generation Army and he joins S- Suriga. So now he's like from being like the fourth guy in you know in the group in, the, in Super Generation Army, he's now the number two in, in Suriga, and He's like next to he's just beneath the ace of the company, Jumbo Saruta, in this unit. So it's like it's awesome for him, but it also kind of you know it it does kind of elevate Kobashi into being kind of this not not the natural foil against against Taue or Jumbo. That's you know the role of Kawada's for for Tawey and Misawas for Jumbo, but it's it, it, it being like the foil. For Masanobu Fuchi is not a bad place to be in because what what better way to like kind of develop even more babyface fire, more babyface sympathy than being
1: getting the shit kicked out of you and being stretched by Fuchi? Nothing. It's, it's a great spot to be in. No, I, I think that is a huge reason that Kobashi's development goes the route that it does is he doesn't have that natural Masawa versus Jumbo or Kawada versus Tawaya thing. It's really to me, there's obviously the Fuchi stuff which helps him out tremendously. But what would you say Kobashi's ultimate foil is? Is it Hanson? Is that the Masawa Jumbo comparison for Kobashi? Is it Kobashi versus Hanson? I I would say like, yeah, like he's the guy that he, you know, that
0: Kobashi has to overcome the most I you know for me it's like it's it's not it's not one of the 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 native wrestlers it's one of the the foreign wrestlers and I say Hanson is probably it because he's of the center same generation as Jumbo so that makes more sense but if you talk about like you know Kawada has Tawe and their peers then his peer of like who has to overcome like or someone who's just a little bit older than him and just a little bit more seasoned than him in the company is is Steve Williams
1: yeah, that's very true. I, I, I always I, I feel like I do a bad job. I feel like I neglect Dr. Death and his overall success in all Japan whenever I talk about this topic. So, so I, I would I would certainly give the edge to him. You're right. One of the and one of the highlights
0: of the you know the, of '91 for Kobashi is like him and Kikuchi. They enter the the real world tag league of that year, and they they only finish with two points. But but you know what? It's it's a great establishing tournament for these two to like be seen as a regular tag team, to just be seen as each other's like uh, partners. That you you see Kobashi, who's his tag partner? It's Kikuchi, and same thing, vice versa with Kikuchi. Um, and this team would you know would go on to have a lot of success in the coming year, 1992. Um, let's quickly just talk about Kobashi first, though. In 92, he, he goes into the Champion Carnival. He gets three wins, and he gets uh, a one draw. It's a fairly uneventful tournament for him, but but case, on May 25th, 1992, in the Miyagi Sports Center in Sendai, which is Kikuchi's hometown, Keita Kobashi and Siyoshi Kikuchi take on the Canem Express for the All-Asia Tag Titles in what is one of the greatest tag matches of all time is definitely the greatest tag match to ever be contested for the All Asia Tag Team Titles.
1: That you could definitely say for sure. This is far and away the absolute peak of the All Asia Tag Titles. The Kobashi Kikuchi tag team. I don't. I don't. I don't want to call them underrated. I, I. That's not the word I'm looking for. I, I do think the sheer amount of really good to great matches they have is a little understated at times because, and rightfully so, the focus immediately goes to this Can-Ams match, which, like you said, one of the best tag team matches of all time. One of, if not the greatest crowd of all time in terms of heat and just emotion and people jumping up and down. It's, it's really, it's an unbelievable display of participation from the crowd and something that, as we are still fighting the war of COVID, especially in Japan, it's a bummer. It, it's almost a bummer to go back and watch a match like Kobashi and Kikuchi versus the Can-Ams just to see what could be. But that crowd was obviously never duplicated. So they have this match, and they have a number of matches throughout 1992 that that I really like because Kikuchi is just a scrappy little spark plug at this time, and it, it's... It's like he's a different kind of underdog than Kobashi is. Kobashi's an underdog because he hasn't put it all together yet. Kikuchi's an underdog in the sense that he has all of the tools he's going to have, and he's fighting for his life to overcome those odds. And it's it's an interesting pairing that I thought worked really well, obviously against the Can-Ams, obviously against Jumbo, against Fuchi. There's a, uh, in the same year, Kobashi and Kikuchi versus Fuchi a Ogawa match that I think is really fun. Some early Ogawa where he's the heel and Kobashi and Kikuchi are are having to deal with his trickery. That's a really fun match as well. So this is a tag team that, you know, I think it's lost the shuffle compared to the Kobashi and Masawa team or what Kobashi would do uh, towards the end of the Baba era of all Japan. But there's a lot of depth to that Kobashi-Kikuchi tag team that I really enjoy.
0: I really enjoy like the dynamic of Kikuchi and Kobashi against Furnace and and Lafond, Furnace or you know, Crawford, whatever name you want to use for for him, because I think you can draw parallels. You know, Furnace is the powerhouse, Kobashi is the powerhouse, you know. Um, you know, Kikuchi and Crawford and uh Crawford have like kind of similarities in the way their their characters are presented or their 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 wrestling styles almost as well. But like I think, you know, like you can draw parallels between like the dynamic that Furnace and and Crawford have together as a team and that that you were talking about with Kobashi and Kikuchi have as a team. And I just think it's just magic when, you know, they have this match in Sendai. And, like, you got to think, like, well, you know, the crowd in Sendai aren't, for one, they aren't used to getting too many, you know, big title matches. But two, they're not used to seeing someone from their hometown be in that title match. So, like, that really, really helps with, like, them being firmly behind the team of Kikuchi and Kobashi.
1: Yeah, the the pairing of those two teams together is so rarely found in wrestling. I mean, I, you know, maybe Steen and Generico versus the Briscoes. Like, I think every one of their matches together is great. So I would put them maybe on the same caliber, but really the only other comps that are, I I think, are really entirely valid are, I guess, you know, Midnight's Rock and Rolls. I I don't want to neglect our Jim Cornette fans out there. Of course, 1980s tag team is also very good. But in terms of the magic that Kobashi and Kikuchi had with the Can-Ams, the next comparison is just what Kobashi Masao versus the Holy Demon Army were able to do, and it's it's incredible to think that Kobashi had two all time great legendary tag team feuds when you know quite frankly most wrestlers have zero. No, it's it's uh, it's part of what
0: I call part of his perfect career. Is like I, I I think a a perfect wrestler with a perfect career has uh, you know a, a significant tag team run with you know one or two regular partners that. Compliments their their singles run and their singles greatness as well and then uh, Kobashi has that in in excess to me like he has the the team with Masawa the team with Kikuchi and later on the team with with Akiyama and you know like I don't think he ever recreates that so much in, in Noah because you know unfortunately Taiman Honda is not on a level of those other three and he never w- would be um like if 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 they made a an open weight tag team with Kobashi and Kenta like I think, and they gave them the tag titles. I think that would have been a really, really interesting and really fun, you know, like team to watch and know at the time. But yeah, I mean, that's just against that's fantasy booking at this point. And, and we're, we're not looking at the, at, you know, what is, we're looking at what actually happened in the past. Um, just to end off with 1992, he, he goes into the uh, real world tag league, not with Kaguchi, but he, he ends up teaming with giant Baba. Uh, they don't do anything significant in there because it, you know, it's, it's giant Baba. He's, he's the owner, he's the promoter, he's the booker, but he's not necessarily booking himself to be like a world beater in this point in his career
1: case. No, but this is this stuff is on tape, at least a few matches out there, because there's a Masao and Kawada versus Baba and Kobashi match that, you know, just looking at those names on paper, you think, oh, this is going to be something. I don't know what this is going to be. And it turned out to be a pretty fun match with two teams. I, I think uh I, I get the idea. and I, Maybe maybe this will be a dumb thing to say, but I'll, I'll say it anyways there seemed to be a certain reverence that Baba had specifically reserved for Kobashi that when he was in the ring with him, it was obvious. And I I don't necessarily think Masawa or Kawada received just the same level of respect that Baba specifically gave them in the ring. So watching uh, Baba who had been teaming and the ditch has uh, the ditch website, great resource has these notes that, you know, Baba had teamed with Andre the giant in 90 and 91 of the real world tag league. So going to Kobashi is obviously a very different pace and Baba hands the baton off to Kobashi and Kobashi goes flying away with it. So that's a, that's a very fun, short blip on Kobashi's radar. I I think with, with Baba and Kobashi, like I tend to think,
0: you know, Kobashi is like Baba sees something in him, like maybe a little bit of himself, maybe in him. I think that's why he 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 pushes like Tawei like for one thing Tawei in my opinion is awesome so it's not an unwarranted push but I think like with Tawei Baba sees himself a lot in Tawei like a younger version of himself but like with Kobashi maybe he sees like I think maybe he sees more like Jumbo a younger Jumbo. In, in Kobashi at this point in his career. And maybe in the, there's obviously like a great deal of fondness that, that Baba has for, for Jumbo Saruta that like maybe, you know, oh, I, see, I, see some, I see a bit of that more in Kobashi than I do either Kawada or Masawa. But, you know, if, if, if the timing was different and, and it was Kobashi who was in Masawa's position, I, I think Baba would have pulled the trigger sooner on, uh, and, and would have had Jumbo lose the triple crown to like Kobashi. You know, it's just he didn't he never felt like doing that until it was too late with with uh, with Masawa and Jumbo.
1: Now that we have the full scope of everybody's career, I certainly think Kobashi is a better second act Jumbo than Masawa ever was, because more so than anything, you know, the greatness of Jumbo as you got into the 1990s for the short run that he had there while he was healthy was that he was this devastating, awful, maniacal bully of a wrestler And I don't really know if Masawa ever nailed that portion of his career. It seemed like something he was uninterested in doing. Whereas Kobashi, once you turn to Noah, and once Kobashi starts to see this new generation of wrestlers come in, whether it be Shiozaki or Nakajima, or at times Kenta and Marafuji, Kobashi takes a lot of glee in destroying the younger generation, just as Jumbo once did. So I I think that is a more accurate comparison of, Kobashi becoming the second Jumbo than Masawa becoming the second Jumbo is. Well, I mean, you know, with Masawa, it's just like
0: he has that stoicism that like that carries out throughout his entire career. And, you know, Kobashi has, you know, Jumbo was was a very passionate man in the ring.
1: Yeah, I I went back and watched a lot of Jumbo about a month and a half ago. And I was watching 80s Jumbo, which it, which in kind of early, like 82 to 86 era Jumbo, which isn't necessarily my favorite, but something about watching him this time around, I just kept on going, man, this guy is just jumping off the screen in a way where it's like, I know Jumbo is great. He's obviously great, but he is such a dynamic baby face at times. And I, I forget about that because I like his heel run so much that I forget when he was adored as as this, you know, spark plug baby face that he was also phenomenal in that role.
0: Yeah, so it's 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 it's, it's something that you can definitely see like Jumbo Kabashi. Yeah, we can draw the parallels, but but case okay, so let's move on to 1993 and you you you've said this before. You've hinted at this that this is like the year. This is the year of Kenichi Kabashi taking that 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 kind of quantum leap into the next level of his career, uh, he's basically he's elevated to number two in Super Generation Army. He becomes Masawa's main tag partner as Kawada has left the, the SGA to form the Holy Demon Army with uh, Tawe uh, because of like you know the health problems of Jumbo Superday, who has now to pretty much you know recuse himself from the main event scene of the company. And you know Baba decided, well, I need a new rival for Masawa, and it's going to be Kawada because that's a natural rivalry you can have. And so, you know, by default, like, it's Kobashi who becomes, like, the right-hand man in Super Generation Army and, and, and starts what is, like, one of the greatest, you know, rivalries. is the Holy gaming Army versus the Super Generation Army. Um, uh, Super Generation, yeah, Super Generation. Uh, you know, like, it's, it's amazing to see, like, someone who was, like, these four were all in the same faction in a couple of years ago. Now they're on opposite sides. Now the, the lines are clearly, you know, been drawn between, you know, super generation, holy demon. And it's like, shit gets real. Like the, the, the first tag match that they have, uh, Kawada and Tawe is against Kobashi, Kikuchi, Korok and Hall. I forget the exact date, but my God, I saw that for the first time, like several months ago. And I was just blown away at how amazing it is because like the dynamic that, that the Kawada shows with Kobashi it's just incredible. And it's going to be recreated in, in, in matches that, that he's going to have with him with Masawa as his tag team partner. But like
1: having, having Kikuchi in there is just absolutely perfect as well. Yeah. There's a distinct flip, like a switch is flipped in Kobashi's 93, because if you look at really the first half of the year, He's still very good, and he's primarily teaming with with still Kikuchi. I, I just watched for the first time, there's a match that, that jumped out to me that I saw on YouTube a few weeks ago, Kobashi and Kikuchi versus Akiyama and Ogawa from January 1993. And, and like I was just talking about, there's a ton of depth to that Kobashi-Kikuchi tag team run, and that's one of those matches that I never really hear people talk about. But I watched that, and I had a delightful time with it. And then Kobashi goes into the carnival, He does all right in the carnival. There's a great Hanson versus Kobashi match from that tournament and that year. And then he hits the Terry Gordy match in May of 1993. And Kobashi's looking for really his first big singles match win. And Gordy's at a point in the booking where he also needs a big win. And it just seems like that is where Kobashi flips and he becomes, I don't know if there's a confidence ushered into him Uh, Both from, you know, you could say a booking perspective or just this real life confidence that became this undeniable force of his life. But from that point on, Kobashi is a world beater. He's unbelievable. And as 1993, I don't think it's his best in ring year ever, but I certainly have a hard time coming up, you know, on, you know, filling a hand, filling all five fingers with years that are better than this in his entire career. Because once he has that Gordy match, it's just a nonstop run of, of the San Hansen match, the Steve Williams match. Uh, there's a really good Akiyama match at the end of the year, and then the Real World Tag League like '93 finals, which might be my favorite individual Kenta Kobashi performance ever. So the Terry Gordy match you talk about is is from
0: May 21st, and that happens in the the city of Sapporo in in uh, uh, sorry uh, Hokkaido, uh, the northern part of Japan. Uh, this is a really interesting card case because not only does like he gets this win. He gets this win over Terry Gordy, but it's actually kind of a, a card that sees the Japanese four pillars, uh, kind of defeat the Gaijin four pillars of, of all Japan, all in singles matches. So also on this card, Masawa defeats Stan Hansen in a triple crown title defense. Kawada defeats Steve Williams and, and Tawe defeats, uh, Danny Spivey in his match with him. And it's just like, wow, okay. Like there is something to be said about 1993 being a pivotal year for everyone of the, uh, in the four pillars because they get to beat all these guys who are pushed like super strong as the foreign heels who, who come into who come into all Japan on a regular basis and are really, really established as being kind of really, you know, like tough to beat.
1: Yeah. That's a very fun card to look at. I I don't know. I guess I, I probably have seen that Kawada versus Steve Williams match, but it doesn't really jump off as, as something that I, Remember, I know I I said this on a podcast recently and I had uh, someone uh, from Voices of Wrestling who I I like very much. He came in my DMs and he was like, how dare you say that Masawa versus Masawa and Hanson never had good matches with one another? Because I I just recently stated that I love Hanson. Uh, Like I said earlier, Masawa is very frustrating, but I obviously love Masawa. I do not like any of their singles matches with one another, so for me, the winner on this card is Gordy versus kobashi because that is a, a very special match and and really the first of I, I think the undeniably great Ken kobashi singles matches
0: well I, I'm not sure who who came into your dms but like respectfully, i I will say that you know Misawa's chemistry with with Hanson is not as good as kobashi's chemistry with no, Hanson, nor I, is it as good as Kawada's. Kawada has way better matches with Hansen than Masawa ever did.
1: I completely agree. There's something about those two guys. I just, I don't like seeing them wrestle even in tags. I don't think they light the world on fire, but every Masawa versus Hansen singles match, I find to be incredibly underwhelming. I, I just think it's, you know, like as great as Masawa was, and I'm,
0: I never deny how great he is. And he's one of my favorites of all time, but his stoicism really kind of like takes him detracts from some of like some of the the bigger matches he would have in his career with like some of the bigger stars. But you know, with with Kobashi, like his matches with pretty much everyone are awesome because like he has the passion that that just comes through in all his matches. And and is not necessarily, you know, you know, brimming with passion in his matches, but there is a certain understated like struggle with Kawada that comes through, especially when he's wrestling someone like Hansen, that just makes you like get behind Kawada is in a different, in a similar but yet different way than with Kobashi. Yeah, very much so. And this is uh, the year that you know the you know Kobashi and Masawa would take on uh, Tawei and Kawada in the first of many classic clashes over the All Japan World Tag Team Titles. Um, Kobashi has an all-time great match with Stan Hansen from July 20th that actually case I discussed last month on this very show with rich fan from the pro wrestling torch, go check out that episode, watch that match, go check out that episode. But you, this is one of the matches you want to talk about. Like, do you, do you want to elaborate further on what you think is so great about this particular match?
1: Yeah. I don't know if I have a ton to add. Cause rich did a great job of, of going into this match and what's so great about it to me. Like I talked about the greatest wrestler ever project that I did at the start of this podcast. And in 2016, when I did it, Stan Hansen was my number one and Kobashi was my number two. This time around Kobashi was my number one. Hansen was my number three. Janice Rotiner actually still under that two spot. But what you have with this July 29th, 1993 match is you have two of the greatest wrestlers of all time. Having what I think, like I said earlier is kind of the perfect foil match. Kobashi is fighting for everything every single thing in this match nothing is given to him he has to earn everything and there's this great you know fighting spirit burning fight type deal that Kobashi has and in a way Stan Hansen comes at him with almost like a nihilistic energy of like look I'm just going to beat you up and you have to deal with it and this is the the reality that we're living in and Kobashi refuses to accept that reality and what you get is is just a perfect wrestling match in my opinion. It is it is one of the undeniable best matches in the in the career of Kenta Kobashi. It's probably my favorite Stan Hansen singles match. Now that I'm I'm looking real quick just to see if there's anything that would top that, but I think this is yeah this is the best Stan Hansen singles match of his career. And I obviously think very highly of him. So for me, if you've never seen this match, pause the podcast, go watch the match, and then come back and join us because we have even more great Kenta Kobashi match recommendations
0: uh including uh he would take on uh steve williams in another great match that i actually talked about with Davey portman on episode five of this podcast series uh that's kind of like the, the 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 not the birth but maybe maybe the the most vicious example of the backdrop driver of someone landing on their head in all japan that that being you know kenny kabashi landing on his head because of dr death <laughs> suplexing him onto it
1: Yeah, no, the finish is one of those things that the first time you see it, it's completely ingrained into your brain of, oh, my God, what did I just see? What is that? And, you know, Dr. Death is someone that I've been talking a lot about on podcasts lately because I don't I don't really love his career. He's a guy that really doesn't connect with me all the time. But when you have this Kobashi match is unbelievable and it's just, uh, you know, it, it reminds me and this might anger some people. They'll have to deal with it. But To me, peak Okada is incredible because you can just look at a calendar year and you go, well, he had that great singles match and he had that great singles match and he had that great singles match. And he just rallies them off to a point where it's like he has greatness lost into oblivion because of just the sheer amount of greatness that he was doing. And Kobashi's 93 certainly has that to some extent where... Again, it's the Gordy match and the Hanson match and then the Dr. Death match and then what he does at the end of the year. And it's just this nonstop barrage of matches that have really gone down in pro wrestling history as something really memorable.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, the other, another, you know, talking about that end of the year for 1993, he has this belter of a singles match against Kawada on October 23rd at Budokan Hall. Uh, And then finally, him and Misawa, they, they, you know, they entered the Real World Tag League They they enter the finals against Kawada and Tawe. And this happens on December 3rd at Budokan Hall. And they win that match in an all-time classic. They win their first of six. He wins his first of six World Tag Team Championships. I'm pretty sure Masao has won an equal amount of World Tag Team Championships with Kawada Kobashi and Ogawa. I, I, I can't remember the exact number of tag team championships. He's won in his career, but this is also the first of three consecutive victories for, you know, Masao and Kawada in the real world tag league from, from 1993, 1994 and 1995, but this might be the best one.
1: Yeah. Uh, it's, it's certainly in terms of real world tag league finals. It absolutely is. I know some people point to six, nine the greatest tag team match of all time. I don't have an argument against that, but I always make sure to throw in the 93 tag league as if it's not the better of the two matches. It is my favorite individual Kobashi performance because I, he's he wrestles like a wounded animal in this match. There's really, to me, never been a stronger case of selling from start to finish I, I think it comes close with a 95 match. That's probably the, uh, the, the next best thing. But Kobashi in 93, I think given the stature of where he was at, at this point in his career, because by 95, he's such an established guy and we kind of know his place in the pecking order. 93, it's still, he's still fighting to prove himself to some extent. And that really comes across in this match. It's an obvious, easy five-star match for me if you want to throw snowflakes on it. it it's... You know, it almost becomes repetitive, and I'm aware of that. When you're talking about the greatness of Kent Kobashi, you can just kind of throw a dart at the board and go, "Well, this was great, and this was great, and this was great," because it was. But specifically, the Tag League Finals in 1993 are really in that elite pantheon of. If you have not seen Kent Kobashi, or if for some reason what you've seen hasn't clicked with you, this is where I point people toward because it's a special kind of match.
0: I would say. You know, like, it's a perfect example of, of his 1993 in that, you know, he's, he's, like, leapt up on the pecking order, right, in the company. He's seen, I think, as a, as a peer by the fans to the other pillars, to Kawada, to Misawa, to Tawe, even though he has never beaten any of them in singles matches, you know, likely because he was the youngest of the four that, that plays, you know, part of it in, in Japanese wrestling. But, you know, it's, he's seen on a level of Masawa, but he's not seen as being better than him, particularly not by Baba because Baba's never booked him to beat Masawa in a singles match. And there's something to be said about like, he's still in that stage of his career where he's still kind of being built up, built up, built up and making the fans want it and want it. And finally, you know, like the, the formula that is kind of like indicative of all Japan wrestling that was used by, you know, Baba with Masawa and Jumbo, and, you know, like later on with Kawada and, and Hansen and then like later on with Kobashi and Hanson as well, you know, it's it's this thing where it's like, OK, now he's got to overcome people like Hansen and 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 now. But now it's 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 got to be his peers, the people he's been associated with as as allies more than as enemies. And that's people like Masao and Kawada and Tawei But it's it's 1993. It's a great year, but he it's it's he's still working his way up the card, as it were.
1: Yeah, that's exactly it. It really lays the foundation for. You could make the argument that that ninety three, and let's just cap it with the real world tag, like in ninety three, through his GHC title win at the start of two thousand three. Ninety three really lays the foundation of the next ten years of his career and everything that goes on. There's obviously a lot of twists and turns along the way. I don't think in nineteen ninety three he saw the giant exodus coming uh, per se, but. In the story of Kobashi, 1993 is the year that really begins his path of greatness.
0: Yeah, I mean, it it starts, you know, continuing this path of greatness continues in 1994. He he enters the Champion Carnival. He finishes with 17 points, including a singles win over Stan Hansen, his first singles win over, over Stan Hansen on May 21st. Him and, him and Masawa defend the World Tags titles over Kawada and Tawei in Sapporo in another epic match. Uh, July 17th, he goes to a 30-minute time of the draw with uh, Akira Tawei in Hakata in the legendary Hakata Star Lanes. And Case, I'm just going to tell you, I've been to Hakata, Hakata Star Lanes, and it's kind of a shithole, but I'm so glad I got to see a show in there before it closed.
1: I am devastated that it is no longer open. Uh, I, I will... I will name drop somebody here real quick, just because I I think it's relevant to what you just said. I was once talking to Matt Seidel, and he mentioned that the first time he went over uh, for Gate, he wrestled a show in Hakata Star Lanes, and he says that is the hottest and best crowd he's ever been in. That building has a special kind of magic that, you know, even Cork and Hall, he's wrestled in the Tokyo Dome, he's wrestled in Sumo Hall. Matt Seidel's wrestled in a number of very famous buildings throughout his career, Hakata Star Lanes for him is the number one building to wrestle in.
0: It's it's a kind of an interesting building like it's similar to Corken Hall in the sense like you know Corken Hall is part of like a larger complex with like other things in it. It's the main thing in it, but like the main thing in Hakata Star Lanes is the bowling alley, I think, and then some of the restaurants and like Hakata Star Lanes is just like oh this place that's holds like wrestling and maybe some concerts as well. <laughs> I'm glad I went there, but I was just like, "Wow, this is Hakata Starlings, huh?" And mind you, I'm seeing a show, an all Japan show there in 2017. Not necessarily, like you know, the height of like the yeah. Dragon Gate, like the <laughs> I like like on a Dragon Gate tour. I'm sure, which it was a lot hotter for for wrestling for for that company in Hakata Starlings than then, like you know recent. All Japan was, but it was still a fun show. I'm just saying I'm glad I
1: got to go there. Like, Yeah, no, I, I'm so. fascinated by the idea of 1994 All Japan running there. I can't imagine what those crowds were like. That seems like a really fun building to see this era of All Japan in. I did not realize that was a stop on the tour for them.
0: Oh I, I think star Lanes was a top for even for probably new Japan back back in ninety four like i don 't know if like because it 's in Fukuoka, so Fukuoka has like the big perfectional gymnasium that all new Japan runs like these days, but you know like a lot of your maybe smaller B shows would go go there, including for like new Japan and all Japan as well uh july twenty second nineteen ninety four kobashi Misawa defend their tag team titles against Johnny Ace and Steve Williams, so like we're now starting to see Kobashi and Ace beyond be kind of like regularly on opposite sides, but that wouldn't last for very long. September 3rd, 1994, uh, he challenges for the Triple Crown for the first time, but he loses to champion Steve Williams in Budokan Hall. And finally, to end off 1994, Real World Tag League, Masao and Kobashi win the 94 tourney, this time beating Steve Williams and Johnny Ace and winning the tag team titles again in the process, just so people know like when the Real World Tag League starts up, whoever the champion is uh, or, or are they vacate the titles and it's, it's, you know, it's the part, it's the part of the prize of winning the real world tag league every year. This, at some point they stopped doing this, which I'm kind of glad of. I, I, I don't like seeing like people vacate titles even for like a tournament. So, but this is like a, a process that would, that Baba liked to do every year for the real world tag league. I'm just glad he never did that with the triple crown and the champion carnival.
1: Oh God, that i I don't even like to think about that. That would have been just atrocious for the lineage of the Triple Crown. Uh, the, the the big thing from this little time period here is the September 3rd, 1994 match with Steve Williams. I have it as a five-star match. It is uh, just unbelievably violent. And I will use the term disturbing at times. I I, I think it, it, it is that damning of a match. Some of the, the head drops Kobashi takes here are just insane it's it's mind-blowing but he survives it uh you know and is better off for it in the end and that's just you know uh, 1994 is a weird year for all japan there's not a ton of stuff from this entire year that i really love but when i look through match listings here the stuff that i love from 94 obviously outside of masawa versus Kawada from june is a lot of Kobashi stuff. It's Kobashi versus Hanson in the champions carnival. It's uh, the Holy demon army versus Misawa and Kobashi from may of 1994, which I think is a pretty underrated match in the, the lineage of their great matches. That one gets slept on a little bit. And then him versus Williams at the end of the year. So Kobashi is, is probably for me, the MVP of all Japan in 93 and 94.
0: Well, that being said, like, let's move on to 1995. Uh, On January 19th, there is a triple crown title match. Toshiaki Kawada defends against Kobashi and they go to a 60 minute draw at the Osaka prefectural gymnasium. And what's interesting about, you know, this match is that it happens just two days after the devastating earthquake in, in Kobe, which is like about an hour away by train from Osaka. So, like, I can't even imagine having to go to that region after that earthquake in 95. Because like that, I remember hearing about the news back in 95 when I'm still in high school. And I'm just like, holy shit. And, you know, it was a massive thing that that devastated the city of Kobe. But like Kobe and Osaka are not that far from each other. The fact that these guys went to the city to have a show and that these guys, I, I don't know, like they they had their, this I'm sure what was an epic, epic match. I haven't seen it in a long time. So, but it's just, I just think that context is really important though.
1: I did not know that about this match. And I will also say, despite the fact that I'm on here talking about the history of Kenna Kobashi and I feel very qualified to do so. And I'm naturally a huge fan of Toshiaki Kawada as well. I have never seen this match before. And that is something that I am looking to change very soon because it's out there. I've I've definitely had the option of watching it, but I have, it's, it's, it's a tough task at times to sit down and dedicate yourself to watch a match that you know is going an hour long. And despite my love for both of these guys, I have never seen this match.
0: Well, may- maybe this this podcast recording this with me will inspire you to devote some time in the in the coming week to to watch it and just devote listen, it's going to be better than a 30 minute match from New Japan these days, you know what I'm saying?
1: <laughs> look look, you don't have to sell me on that. I was out on New Japan before it was cool. And people got mad at me when I wrote the Voices of Wrestling ebook that hey, maybe this good era of New Japan is over. And obviously the pandemic expedited those factors. I wasn't necessarily factoring in COVID-19 when I wrote this. But I was right, and people were mad at me, and I will gladly take this victory lap on, on this podcast and every other podcast that I'm on. Uh, just just say on your left a lot, Case. It's no problem. <laughs> I, will,
0: I will let you have your victory lap here. Um, <laughs> speaking of uh, 60-minute draws, there's another one this time in a tag team match as Masao and Kobashi uh, defend their tag team titles against Ka- Kawada and Taue, uh in Yamagata. Uh, that's on January twenty fourth. Uh, you know, here's an interesting point that I learned from the uh, Four Pillars uh, Twitter account run by Hisami, who's the the, the primary you know English translator for Pro Noah, unofficially, but you know I think the best resource out there if you if you're a fan of that company. Uh, sometime in nineteen ninety five, in an untaped match, Stan Hansen beats Kobashi. He beats his arm so bad with his bull rope that Casey eventually
1: breaks Kobashi's arm to the point where bones are poking out. I really wish we had footage of this. I don't care if it would have been a grainy handheld from the second deck. I'm really bummed that we don't have really any video footage of this existing because it sounds disgusting. It sounds awful, but it sounds like something I would like to see. It said that, you know, that
0: afterwards that Kobashi was so, you know, rightfully enraged that Masawa
1: had to prevent him from legit beating the shit out of Stan Hansen. I got to side with Ketiko Bashi on this one. Stan Hansen at this point in life seems like a really good dude. I always like when he pops up. He's always got a big smile on his face. The mustache is still perfectly intact. If he beat me up to a point that the bone was sticking out of my arm, I personally speaking, I would be pissed. Uh, but it's not all, you know, bad news
0: for Kobashi. And in 1995, he's in the Champion Carnival. He finishes with uh, 13 points and has 30-minute draws with Hansen and Kawada. So I, I would assume that you know things have been smoothed over. Definitely, things have been smoothed over by the time you know the first uh, Starcast comes along. Apparently, because Rich Fan told the story of like drawing these two together. They didn't know they were both at Starcast, and they didn't know they were. They, they didn't have, make any plans to meet up, but he he brought them together and they had a lovely conversation with one another. I'm, I'm sure Hansen uh, apologized profusely for breaking co- uh, uh, Kobashi's arm and Kobashi was like more than like, ah, oh, that's just water on the bridge. <laughs> it happens. I'm wrestling
1: Stan Hansen. This is what I was expecting.
0: Uh, in, on June 9th, we talk about this. June 9th, 1995, the greatest tag team match of all time occurs as the Holy Demon Army defeat Masan Kobashi or the tag team titles in all time classic. And, and I don't care, you know, present company included what people say about matches that happen, tag team matches that have happened in other companies, in American companies in the last two years. This is still the greatest tag team match of all time in my humble opinion.
1: Well, yes, certainly it's better than any tag team match that has ever happened on soil in North America. Now, the Young Bucks might be better than Holy Demon Army. That's a conversation for another podcast. Uh, certainly, there perhaps is an article on a VoicesOfWrestling.com that I wrote about that. But, yeah, June 9th, 1995, I I rewatched it about a month ago. I was going through all of the Masawa versus Kawada singles matches in order, and I paused along the way to give this match time to watch in, in a more proper context. And it is mind-blowing. It, it is it's hard to divorce the work in this match from the aura and the, the appreciation that this match rightfully has. And I was really trying to do that watching it this last time around, because it's obviously a match that I've seen a few times now, but just trying to take in the work divorced from any prestige that this match has is a really tricky thing to do because you watch it with the idea in mind that this is arguably the greatest wrestling match of all time. But when you watch the work and you try to separate it with just the raw action of what's happening in the ring at the end, you know, when the bell finally rings, you're left with the same the same feeling that, wow, this is as good as it gets. And, and Kobashi is maybe not the MVP of this match. Uh, you know, it, I wish you could I realistically there's four MVPs because these guys just all go out there and they, they kill it in a way that is uh, perhaps never been duplicated since. But it is a very special Kobashi match and a real high point in uh, not only peak all Japan, not only in Kenta Kobashi's career, but just in the history of pro wrestling. It is really hard to beat June 9th,
0: 1995. I just as a a spoiler case for for people who listen to this particular podcast that, you know, this time next year, I'm going to I'm going to review this match with John Pollock. I've already booked him. I told him on the last time we had a phone call. I said, John, are you free next next year? you know, are you free June of 2022? And he's like, I, why, what do you want to do? And he's like, and I said, I want you to watch this match. I'm sure he's watched it before. I want you to watch it again. And I want you to come on a podcast and talk about me. So those of you want to hear about the greatness of this match, I'm going to have the John Pollock on that show with me. We're going to, we're going to analyze that match from start to finish. So that's something you can look forward to next year.
1: That sounds like a real hot podcast. I'm looking forward to giving that a listen but
0: you know what you know, like the thing about this match case is like and i i've seen like uh, joseph Monticelli, who does a great um podcast called walking the king's road um he he analyzed this match and one thing i took away from watching that but also my own viewings of this match and, and the stuff that came before it is like for people who love like what callbacks easter eggs whatever the fuck you want to call them this match has tons of that like like in, in, there's so many that you, you like. You, you need three baskets to hold all the Easter eggs in, in that this match has of like all the things that you know are related to things. These encounter the encounters that these four had before, but also in in singles encounters they had in the year, bef- you know, in earlier in the year against each other that that are you know brought back into play in this particular match, especially with the damage being done to Kobashi's leg.
1: Oh yeah, it, it's a. Uh... It's a match that on the surface, if you don't know who any of these guys are, but you understand just the basics of pro wrestling, you'll be able to understand that this is an elite tier, you know, God level performance from all four guys. Once you have any sort of context, it immediately takes this match up a level and every single time, you know, like I said, I was watching all the Masala versus Kawada matches. It made the pit stop here along the way. And it opened up new things in my mind of Masao versus Kawada things that they did in this match that had played off of their singles matches in 92 and 93 and 94. So, yeah, it's look, I, I certainly am not going to argue with anybody that says this is the best match of all time, period. Not not being a qualifier for a match that happened in Japan or a tag team match or whatever. For a lot of people, rightfully so. This is the best match of all time. And it, it wouldn't be the last time they faced each other in 1995
0: either because these two teams would face each other again for the titles on October 15th. And that would go to a 60-minute draw. And, hey, you know, like, I will I will gladly sit down for a 60-minute draw between these four guys any day of the week. Um, also, in 1995, uh, you know, Kobashi challenges again for the Triple Crown. This time, Mis- Hamasawa, his tag team partner, is the champion. And he loses that challenge. That happens on October 25th at Budokan Hall. So, like, 10 days after going to, I'm sure it was a 60-minute war with Kawada and Tawe with Masawa's partner, he then faces Masawa. And I, I can't remember how great this match is. I'm sure it's great. Like, it's at Budokan Hall. It's for the Triple Crown. That, like, they just, I'm sure, tear the house down. Like, and it's, like, only 10 days later, Case. Okay? Like, can you, who can have a, who can, who but one of the four pillars, of, but especially maybe Kobashi here could have, like, back-to-back performances essentially like this.
1: No, it's absurd. I mean, it, it just goes to show how deep this guy's resume is. And, you know, it, it's not like when you talk about the greatness of Kenda Kobashi, typically, not a lot of people are going, man, I love the fall of 1995 in his career. That's not exactly one of the high points that people turn to, but I'm a pretty big fan of that Masawa versus Kobashi triple crown match. I don't know if I've ever seen that hour-long holy demon army tag. That's very interesting. I, I'm I'm going to have to sit down and watch some hour-long matches this next week, apparently. Uh, but, you know, this is another really strong run in the back half of 1995. And I, I used this term earlier, but it's kind of just a blip on the radar for Kobashi. Again, nobody's going, man, the fall of 1995, that's when Kenta Kobashi crushed it. But he was, and it's just insane to think about. Well, definitely
0: something that's a highlight is uh, the real world tag league of 95, Masao Kobashi enter They go to the finals again, of course, and, and they defeat Kawada and Tawei in the finals at Budokan Hall, December 9th, 1995. It's like, you know, like these two guys and their feud with Kawada and Tawei is like m- quite possibly, I got to say like maybe up there, like it, maybe it's greater than like, I, I'd have to really think about this, but like, you know what what comes to mind for me rock and rolls midnights Midnight versus the fantastics heart foundation versus the bulldogs it it you know like more recently maybe like i really love the the feud that the new day had with the usos and wwe like shit like that i i i love when teams just face each other again and again and again and, and it's different each time it's just, that's just to me is the beauty of of what tag team wrestling uh can and should be
1: yeah no i mean this is the greatest tag feud of all time. And they end in a pretty strong way in the end of 1995. And then you look at 96 and what's ahead for Kobashi. And all of a sudden, you know, we got out of this pattern from 93 to 95 where he's teaming with Masawa and he's working his way up the card. And every once in a while, he gets a big win. And then right when he can follow up, he gets knocked down a peg. And then by 1996, the, the landscape of all Japan is totally different.
0: Well, he starts 1996 on March second, he teams with Jun uh, for the first time in a tag team challenge. Uh, they lose in their bid to win the tag team titles from uh, Kawada and Tawei at Budokan Hall. But he would then enter the Champion Carnival, and, and he would get sixteen points, uh, and he would uh, gain a, a draw against Tawei, better than a loss. But of course, loses to Basawa and Kawada during the, uh, the, the block portion of the tournament. Uh, but hey, it's all okay though, Case, because on July 24th, Kobashi wins the Triple Crown Championship for the first time, defeating then-champion Akira Tawe for his first singles world title at Budokan Hall in what was, in my opinion, a, a really strong performance from both guys. But, but to me, it's like, yes, Kobashi has reached that plateau now and it's no, there's no t- looking back for him.
1: Yeah, I love this match where Kobashi went to the Triple Crown. I, I love this era of Tawei. I think 95 and 96. He's obviously doing the great work in the tag team with Kawada, but you really see him branch out for this short period of time as a singles competitor, and that leads to him winning the Triple Crown and then eventually losing it to Kobashi, which was the right decision in the grand scheme of things. And also, just a very good match, which which I will obviously uh, take as an evergreen ideology of Kenta Kobashi having really great wrestling matches. So it, it's a good time in Kobashi's career. I don't necessarily like... I'm trying to think Kobashi and Tawe would have had this match that I really liked. I really like their GHC title match in NOAH. I don't know if, if I can point to another really good or really great Kobashi versus Tawei match, but they certainly made those two matches count.
0: I think you'd have to like examine like a lot of their interactions in like 93 through 94, 95, especially okay, maybe in the champion carnival to find like, you know, like uh, more examples of their great interactions, but this, this would have to be the pinnacle because like, you know, going in, he's, he's a defending triple crown champion. It's he's like to reach the pinnacle in the company that maybe he never thought he would reach because like, Hey, for if I'm Towa, I'm looking at like, yeah, okay, Baba loves Masawa. He loves Kawada. He he loves Kobashi more than me. So, hey, but hey, he won it before Kobashi. But he's the guy who you know, you know, made made Kobashi in in this match and in a lot of ways because like everyone, if you if you look at you know his career, Kobashi's career, you're gonna say who's the first person who who did he beat for his first Triple Crown? Well, it was it wasn't Masawa. It wasn't Kawada. It was it was Taue, and that's something that I think is kind of a I would wear as a badge of honor if I'm Tawei.
1: Yeah, no, that certainly seems like a trivia question that a lot of people would get wrong of who was the first person that Kobashi beat for the Triple Crown, because I I forgot that it was Tawei. I forget in history that Tawe was a Triple Crown champion because, fairly or not, he's often, you know, categorized as this other wrestler involved with the pillars, which I don't think is fair, because I'm a huge Tawei fan, and I think what he did was incredible, and it obviously built up to this, which is arguably his peak as a singles wrestler. Like I said, this '95 into '96. I think starting with the Champion Carnival in '95 against Masawa and then losing the belt to Kobashi a year later. That is his best run, divorced from Kawada specifically. Can, can I just
0: say something as an aside here, case like, please the there was some like Twitter thing and like about who is the who is the greatest wrestler who participated. The least, in, like who's the wrestler who participated in the in the greatest matches, but part you know contributed the least to it. And that the, the the times that Kairatawi's name came up just made me shake my head. I was like, "Are you fucking kidding me?" Hey, man, he's equally I as agree. part of the greatness <laughs> of those fucking matches he's in with the Holy Demon Army against Masawa, Kawada and whoever else. He's he's an equal part of that as much as Masawa is, as much as Kawada or or, or Kavashi is. And I'm like, you people are like forgetting about like you know, like modern day American wrestling and particularly WWE. Like there's a lot of people in these companies that have like what people consider five-star matches. And I'm like, that guy didn't participate, didn't contribute as much as the other person. He contributed the least, a lot fucking less than fucking Akira Talley does in the great matches that he has in the nineties.
1: I think those matches are not made because of Akira Tawe, but they would be drastically different and arguably worse off for it if they did not have Akira Tawe involved. He is the dynamic element, the, the intangible of those matches is often what Tauwe is doing. Let's move on. I don't want to get on a rant about that. You <laughs> yeah. could,
0: I, I could get really angry about that. But anyways, uh, September 5th, 1996, Kobashi defends the Triple Crown against Dan Hanson, a Hall successfully defends it, continuing his winning streak now against Hansen. The, the roles have reversed. October 12th, 1996, teams with Del Wilkes, the Patriot, in a losing effort for the tag titles against the champions of Johnny Ace and Steve Williams. So this is kind of like planting the seeds for the incredible unit of Global, energetic, and tough—that would follow in in the coming years.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, this is a a, another odd portion in Kobashi's career. Feels like another transitional element, where you know, at this point, he's got some stature. He's Triple Crown champion, and it still doesn't really feel like he's landed the plane in terms of knowing who he is, knowing what he's capable of. I don't want to. I don't want to look ahead too far, but I think by the start of nineteen ninety seven, we snap the figures and go, "Oh yes." That is Kenta Kobashi. Uh,
0: there's a triple crown defense against Kawada that goes to a time limit draw on October 18th at Budokan Hall. And finally, continues his team with the Patriot in the 1996 Real World Tag League. And they finish the tournament with 16 points. But it's it's 1997. We start 1987 on a kind of a, a sad note for Kobashi because he loses the title to Mitsuhara Misawa in Osaka on January 20th. And it's, it was said in an interview, Kobashi said that even though he was the triple crown champion, he was holding the three belts. He still thought Masao was seen as the ace of all Japan. That didn't matter who the champion was, that the Masao was always going to be seen as the top star of the company. And, uh, he said also in this interview that before this match happened, his Kobashi's mother called him and said, no matter what, please don't feel bitter towards Masao, which I think is, is really interesting.
1: Yeah, I think Kobashi was right. I think this era of all Japan, you know, Kobashi could have defeated aliens and and Masawa still would have been looked at as the top dog in the promotion, whether that was fair or not. But I will say at least for this match, January 20th, 1997, uh, I would I would put it as the number two Masawa versus Kobashi match of all time. A really, really special encounter. And, and I think the perfect encapsulation of, like, there are Noah matches off on an island of that is just a different style of wrestling. You can see their influences there of obviously the King's road style, but they just added a, just a layer to it. That is different. But in terms of like, this is what all Japan pro wrestling in the 1990s is. I think Masawa versus Kobashi from 1997 might be the best example of that because, it's, you know, it's a real slow build and you got to pay attention to those early parts of the match. And right when you think they're about to lose you and right when you're about to close out of the window, they turn it on and they have a five-star match. I remember, I think this is
0: probably one of the, either the second or third All-Japan match that I first saw when I first started getting into like Japanese wrestling, particularly of All-Japan. And I just remember watching this match. And at first, I'm like, you know, I'm not, I'm not used to the pacing, per se, because most of my experience has been with American wrestling or with, uh, you know, a, for Japanese wrestling, mainly through, through junior heavyweight wrestling, which is, which is different. Um, but it's this match that, like, I was like, whoa, wait, wait. What, what did he do to him? Is he dead? Like, did he kill him? <laughs> did, he, did he cripple him? Oh, he's still, he's still moving. Oh, thank God for that. I have to watch more of this stuff.
1: Yeah, I think that's a very good encapsulation of Masawa and Kobashi and all Japan of the 1990s. That is a very good way of summarizing my feelings on it as well. Uh,
0: but you know what? There, there is a bit of revenge for Kobashi as on March 28th, he defeats Masawa in a singles match. And this is the first time. Uh, and this is part of the Champions Carnival. And this happens in, in Nikata. Uh, then he goes to a draw on April 12th against Kawada. At Corrigan Hall. And that year, the finals go to a three way tie. This is a. <laughs> Some really strange booking from Giant Baba. It's it's a three way tie between Kawada, Kobashi, and Misawa. And it goes to a round robin series of matches that was going to determine the winner of the tri- of the Champions Carnival that year. And Kobashi draws with Misawa in, in a 30 minute match and then loses to Kawada. And then Kawada would go on to defeat Misawa for the first time ever in a singles match. But it's a very, very tainted win. The story there is mainly Kawada and Misawa. That's the, the main story of that finals but like you know Kobashi is is you know definitely part of that because he's the one who weakens Masawa for Kawada to finish him off later on
1: the booking of this is very strange I like I said I I kind of just re-watched some of this stuff or in this case watched it for the first time and it is so foreign to the typical all Japan booking experience in a way that I I kind of really like the tiebreaker because it's so different and, and it's funny calling this outlandish, but in giant Baba's booking style, like this is kind of a wild idea and it's entertaining in that respect, but it also it's Baba and all Japan and something like this, that it isn't necessarily gimmicky, but is certainly almost more playful than anything that he had done prior. It comes across in a really strange way where I still can't say whether or not I like it. I, I don't know if it's good or bad. I do know it left an impression on me when I watched it.
0: Definitely. Like the book is it's like because I come away from this, you know, like and I say this on the the, the Kawada podcast I did with with Dylan Fox. It's like if I feel sorry for Kawada. Like he, he gets he has he's snake been in his career. He really is like, and like, particularly with the Triple Crown, and particularly against you know his matches with Masao. In the sense, like of his, the booking wise, at least, like like his matches with Masao are always awesome. But my god, he he just gets fucked in the booking.
1: <laughs> but I mean, in a way, that is uh, what makes me love him so much. Is like, ah oh, man, this guy can't catch a break. <laughs> like every single time you start to catch a little momentum, it's like, ah, oh, maybe not. <laughs> Uh maybe
0: not. Not not this year. Um, it's around this time that, you know, the aforementioned global energetic tough GET GET is formed with Johnny uh, Johnny and the
1: Patriot.
0: I I just laugh every time I think about this this unit because it's so fucking weird.
1: Yeah, no, it's uh it, it exists. I mean, it's one of those where again, like by 97, you start to look at some of the stuff in succession, and you're like, huh. Wonder what was going what wonder what was going on in Baba's brain at this time, where you know if the if the round robin three way tie wasn't enough, you get global energetic tough. Where again, this, the idea of I guess Kobashi needs partners. I just don't know if Johnny Ace and the Patriot were go, were the partners I would choose for him. Uh, you know what I think? It's uh, this is
0: probably the peak of like Mrs. Baba being in love with Johnny Ace and <laughs> just like telling her husband. Push, push Johnny Chan. He's he's really cute. I like him a lot, and he's probably like, okay, okay, fuck, I'll push him. I'll put him with Kobashi. I'll stop nagging me, would you please? God, stop uh, it. That's what I think. Might, that's my theory, anyways. But you
1: know that, like they- that little side story, as well as Stephanie McMahon having the haunts for Ultimo Dragon and wanting to unmask him. Two of my favorite things, like two of my favorite lores in the history of wrestling. I love that Stephanie McMahon Ultimo Dragon story because, like, I just I can just totally see it, you know. Oh, oh, god, yeah, no, I
0: uh, Ultimo, very handsome man. Like, I get it, but I can also see seeing, seeing, you know, see Stephanie McMahon being so stupid as to want to unmask the guy. Just because she thinks he's good looking.
1: Ultimo showed up and they're like, well, I guess we don't know what to do with this charismatic guy who wears a mask and is beloved across the world. Oh, well, like they just moved on from immediately. Uh, Yeah, that's (laughs) we'll we'll have to come back into an Ultimo Dragon discussion at some point. Well, with with Kobashi
0: and Ace, though, they they do find success. They beat the Holy Demon Army for the tag titles on May 27th. Uh, in Sapporo, they would lose the belts to Steve Williams and Gary Albright on July 25th at Budokan Hall, but would regain the belts on October 4th in Nagoya. So a bit of hot potato with these tag team titles with uh, with Kobashi and Ace and different different tag team tag teams that they're facing for them.
1: Yeah, I I I, I, I joked about this just a second ago, but I'm really curious now. To see if there was some sort of shakeup in the office or if Baba was inspired by something, or just I, I did not realize the booking in 1997 gets as weird as it does because I, I like I am really fascinated by 1999 All Japan because what I've read is that Masawa really wanted to have the Exodus that year, but out of respect for the uh, the you know baba die in january of that year that he really held off on it and kind of gritted his teeth for another year so 1999 looks like a totally different universe than 1998 but now i'm looking at 97 and it's like all all of these booking decisions are really weird well there's also this match that i'm gonna bring up and
0: this is a match that's never been that's never been aired it's never made tape i think it's probably taped but it's never been ma- made to tape. And it's kind of like one of my Holy Grail's case. And that's this special exhibition match that that has Kenokabashi and Manuike Mossman, a.k.a. Taiokeya. And they appear, and it's weird for Baba because he's breaking his isolationist policy. They appear on a big FMW card at Kawasaki Stadium to face a team of Hayabusa and Jinsei Shizaki on September 28th, which is my birthday, by the way. 1997, I I would give, there's a lot of things I would give, not my eyes or like any part of my my, my anatomy, but I would give a lot to see this match on tape.
1: Okay. I don't want to speak out of school here and I don't want to get you too excited, but I'm pretty sure this match surfaced like two years ago and it's out there in some form now. I, I could be wrong, but I feel like I feel like this match is out there now. So uh, you certainly have some friends in the know, uh, people that might be sitting on some footage, people that are good at archiving stuff. I-, I would maybe send a few DMS and see if anybody has this match. Cause I'm pretty sure it's out there. Well, I, I will get on that as soon as we are done with this case. Don't you worry. But I, I don't, I mean,
0: you might be mistaking like something that happened maybe during the time that Hayabusa and Shinzaki were doing dates for, or Baba because of the no, real world no, I'm
1: specifically Kobashi working FMW. I'm pretty sure this match came out a few years ago, and I don't know why it would have, but I'm I'm pretty sure this match is out there. If if I'm incorrect and you're listening and I got your hopes up, I apologize, but I am pretty sure this match was taped and footage now exists of it. I'm pretty sure it's been taped.
0: The the only only thing I've ever seen of this match was the the issue of Power Slime magazine that covered this card because it was also like the card that had like Vader versus Ken Shamrock in a cage <laughs> on a fucking FMW card for some strange reason they both I think they're both contracted to the. WWF at the time. So like, this is kind of like their offer match <laughs> to FMW of all places. Anyways, like that, that's never apparently made to tape either. Like you, that's, that's kind of a Holy grail out there as well, but I'm i am
1: going to take a look. I'm going well, to, let, let me people. say, let, let me say this. I, there is a handheld version of this match that is on YouTube. I think, there was a pro shot version of this match that was released and then very quickly hidden away. And I don't know what the story on that is, but if you you YouTube this match, there's a handheld out there that it doesn't look like it's great quality, but you can definitely watch it.
0: Well, I, I'll get on that, and also be getting on those DMs as well. Thank you, Case. Thank you. Um, October twenty first, uh, you know, about a month later, uh, Kobashi fails to win the triple crown for Masawa at Budokan, and what I'm sure is a is a match I've seen, but ha- I can't remember it that well because it's been many, 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 many years. And uh, but you know, it's Masawa Ko- Ko- Kobashi at Budokan. Triple Crown, I'm sure it's awesome. Probably four and a half, five stars. Uh, but he ends nineteen ninety seven with a uh, appearance in the Real World Tag League with Johnny Aces as, as his partner, and they finish with fourteen points in uh, in the uh, the block portion of the tournament. So let's move on to eighty eight. Uh, so along with GET Global Energetic and tough kobashi would start a un- a new unit case of only japanese wrestlers in himself and he would call this unit burning and this is kind of a a brand that has followed him for you know up until like even now yeah
1: 1998 for kenta kobashi might be his best year ever i think the only other year that i can really combat it with is 2005 but there are a number of things he does in 1998 that I find to be utterly spectacular. And that is primarily alongside burning. Now there's some good uh, get stuff in here as we go along, but this is in terms of his time in all Japan, this is as good as Kobashi ever got for me. So on January 21st, uh,
0: 25th in Yokohama, uh Holy Demon Army win the tag titles from Ace and Kobashi. Uh, he gets his first single win over uh, Toshaki Kwata in the Champion Carnival on March 27th in Niigata. He also gets wins over Steve Williams and Stan Hansen in the same tournament. He finishes with 18 points, and it's incredible. Like you know, it's not until later that he finally wins his first and only Champion Carnival. Because you, you'd think 98, I would think, would be the year I would have pulled the trigger with him with the Champion Carnival.
1: Yeah, he certainly had the talent to do it at this point. And who ended up winning the, the carnival that year? Uh, it was Masawa and Akiyama. So I'm assuming Masawa wins that match. Uh, but yeah, no, it, w- it would have been nice to have had Kobashi win things because he certainly has a summer that it, that is it, it, it was a great summer to begin with. But had he come in with the momentum of winning the Triple Crown, it would have elevated it to even another level. Uh, G.E.T. fails to regain the tag titles from the
0: Holy Demon Army on June 5th in Sapporo but that's okay because on June 12th case 1980 1998 he wins Triple Crown for the second time by defeating Toshiaki Kawada at Budokan Hall and I, I just re this match for the first time in a long time today because you said that it's one of the other matches you want to, to, to discuss a bit and my god it's awesome like like, as, as awesome as Kobashi is in this match, I, I don't want to get in touch about Kawada, but my God, some of the things Kawada does in this match is his delayed selling and cutbacks are just
1: the out of this world. They're so good. I adore this match. I, I think it is so weirdly underappreciated and kind of forgotten because, you know, Masao versus Jumbo, Masao versus Kawada. Uh, Kobashi versus Masawa; those are the feuds that tend that t- tend to draw the attention of the the Western eyeball. But Kobashi versus Kawana from 1998 is as good as anything these guys have ever done. It's one of my favorite matches of all time. I, I watched it for the first time probably four or five years ago, and once I finished it, I, I just started looking around like, why? why is nobody talking about this match? Why is this not on, you know, your essential All Japan playlist? Why is this not on your getting to know Kenta Kobashi DVDs? Like, this match is insane. It's so, so good. And it's from two guys that really, you know, I I think they're they're known for having that hour-long draw that we talked about earlier because of the historical significance. But nobody really talks about this match as, like, an all-time great match. But for me, it really is. And it's sandwiched in between Kobashi and Ace versus Holy Demon Army, which, you know, for as much as I don't like Johnny Ace at times, I think that match is is terrific. And then there's, you know, we'll talk about the Junak Yama match in just a second. So you kind of have these three real high points of Kobashi's career all within this month and a half stretch. Not to mention the fact that as as I look at some match listings right now, uh, Kobashi versus Kakihara is in July of 1998 as well. And I have recently, recently become a giant fan of Kakihara's time in all Japan. And I really like that match specifically.
0: Yeah. I haven't watched too much of Masahiro Kakihara in, in all Japan. Cause he was like, he, he joins the company. I think what, what was the other co- he was in, was he in UWFI before? I believe so. And then he's one of those guys that gets recruited into, into All Japan later. I think like, you know, battle, some battle artist guys also joined. Like I, I, Daisuke Ik- Akita joins All Japan and then he would migrate over to, to, to Noah because of that relationship later on. But it's an interesting point where Baba's kind of just like being more open to like having people from other companies join All Japan, not necessarily have to be go through his dojo system per se to become someone who gets pushed. And and yeah, like Kakihara, like on the surface, just saying on paper like Kakihara versus Kenny Kobashi, fuck yeah, sign me up for that. I want to watch that too.
1: Yeah, it's a really fun match. It takes Kobashi out of his normal element and it's just kinda this island this match on an island where Kobashi really works it differently than any other match I've ever seen him in.
0: One thing I want to mention about the Kawada title win. Um, you know Kobashi's title win over Kawada is that I think if you want to see a match that perfectly encapsulates what is great about uh, Ken Kobashi, that's this is one of them. This is a perfect example of that, and it's it's um, you know the cherry on top of that, you know, is that he wins triple crown from from Kawada in this match, and it's a great crowning of him i think even maybe even more so than the 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 win the first time he wins a triple crown against Tawei. i think this is because it's it's against someone he's always struggled to to defeat you know and it's like he's always struggled to kind of overcome in the pecking order and i think at this point he joins kawada on kawada's level in the company
1: yeah it's a it's a monumental match it it feels big it has those stakes to it and for some reason, like I said, I may, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm, I'm preaching to the choir, but I feel like it's a match that just gets lost in the shuffle for whatever reason. And that always blows me away because it's really, to me, in that very top tier of great All Japan matches. Uh, and you mentioned this. He defeats Junaki
0: in his first title fence on July 24th at Budokan Hall in, in a great match. Like The, the thing with like, Kobachi and Aki they is these two have always had amazing chemistry right off the bat.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, this is a, an interesting match where you talked about how Kobashi establishes himself on the same level as Kawada in the prior match. Here's a match where Akiyama's trying to get on Kobashi's level, and you see Kobashi work on top, which, you know, he would get very comfortable doing in NOAA, but for all Japan, it was a very rare thing for him. And these guys go out there, and I, you know, I thought the Kawada match was five stars, and I think this Akiyama match was five stars. So by the summer of 1998, Kenta Kobashi is crushing it.
0: Yeah, I mean, even in the fall of 1998, because he beats Kiritawe in his title defense on September 11th at Budokan Hall. Him and Akiyama again challenged for the tag titles, but lose to the Holy Demon Army on October 11th, one month later in Nagoya. Uh, he loses a triple crown to, guess who? Mitsuhara Masawa on October 31st at Budokan Hall. Uh, but he teams with Akiyama officially as Burning, and they win the Real World Tag League. Facing the, the duo of Stan Hansen and the newly acquired to all Japan Vader in the finals, starting one of
1: Kobashi's last great
0: all Japan rivalries with with Vader.
1: Yeah, and I was just talking to somebody about how enjoyable Vader's all Japan run is, and it's something that I kind of forgotten about. And then I, I went back and watched specifically some Hansen and Vader tag matches and I was like, oh, my God, that's right. Like, I think once Noah hits, you can see Vader's physical decline is evident. And I don't I don't really care for the short amount of time he spent in Noah. But in all Japan, he crushes it. And he has, you know, Kobashi is just the perfect foil. I think with Vader, like he
0: was in like wrestling prison in the WWF, And he's very much m- so misused. And I think he saw it going back to Japan, particularly In in all Japan, because I don't think he was going to necessarily go back to to New Japan because of like the, the problems he had over the trademark of the Vader gimmick and shit like that. But like to go back to a company that he knows he could, you know, wrestle without, you know, without any restrictions and do what he's really good at. And that's like beat people up and work a stiff style that it was it was it revitalized him for the like the two years that he was in in, in all Japan before the, the Noah Exodus happens. And yeah, I mean him and him teaming with Stan Hansen is, is a really fun tag team because Hansen's Hansen's honest decline, but Vader's more than willing to like pick up the slack and just like tag, do a hot tag with Hansen, just beating up people and then take him out. So like he can go rest on the apron again.
1: Yeah, no, it's a pretty simple formula, all of their matches, but it is a very effective formula at that. Um, let's,
0: let's move on to uh, 1999. And, uh, here on January 7th in the, in Kochi in Japan, uh, you know, they would win the, the tag, world tag team titles. It's him and Akiyama from the Holy Demon Army. And, uh, Vader defeats him in a singles match on January 15th in Yokohama. Uh, Burning successfully defend their titles against Misawa and his new regular tag team partner of Yoshinari Ogawa on March 6 at Budokan. Can I just say as an aside, though, case like the team of Ogawa and Misawa, thats my favorite pairing of any of Masawa and his various tag team partners. That includes Kawada and, and Kobashi.
1: Really, uh, what what is it about those two that really puts them on that level for you? I like the the mentor
0: apprentice chemistry that these two have, but I like the fact that he's taking essentially a junior heavyweight wrestler in the company and elevating him to a heavyweight level by being, making him his tag team partner. But I think their chemistry as a tag team is a lot more fluid. And like their some of their innovative tag, like double team maneuvers are, are really fun to watch. I just think they just gel better. Like with Ko, Ko, Masao and Kawada, they're a great team, but they're, they're two singles wrestlers put together and and to some extent that's also the same with misawa and 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 kobashi but with misawa and ogawa i feel they're like a true like tag team together like how like kawada and Tawei are a true tag team together and i just think 99 98 99 is a really interesting year for like tag teams because you're establishing you have the established like legendary team of now the holy demon army still reigning roughshod over all the whole tag team division, but you have like this really great tag team in Masawa and Ogawa, but you have the the emerging team of an awesome team of Kobashi and Akiyama, but you also, have, and then you have like various, you know, you know, like uh foreign combinations. Like I, I actually really enjoy Johnny Ace and Mike Barton,
1: AKA Bart Gunn joining all Japan and teaming up together. I think they're a fun tag team too. Well, yeah, 1999, like, like I was saying earlier, it, it's just another universe it's so different than what all japan was even a year ago because you want to talk about tag team combinations uh in june of 99 all japan runs masawa and Tawei versus kawada and kobashi which is the only time that they had ever done those pairings before and that's a super entertaining match and like you said whether it's you know uh, the, the natives, you know, with Kobashi, Nakayama, Masao, and Ogawa, or the Americans that would come in. I mean, you get Gary Albright and Vader teaming towards the end of the year when Hanson's not there. It, it's a really good year for tag team wrestling, which I don't know if that's an a, an idea that I had fully realized, but now that you say it, you're completely right. It's it's, it's a fun, and also, like, no fear
0: are yeah, coming exactly. along. Omori and Takayama, it's, it's like, it's a really fun fun time if you like that like, like the tag team of all japan's so like this is actually a peak year unfortunately it would last very long but that's a that's a time that's a discussion for another time but um where am i here uh yes so 99 the triple uh, the champion carnival we see kobashi defeating M- M- misawa he defeats akiyama he defeats Tawei, but he would lose the finals to vader on april 16th at Budokan hall and keep in mind vader is also the reigning triple crown champion at this time, and you know, on a side note here, In what seems like to be a trend with Kobashi. Apparently, he and Vader at some point got into a legit fight at ringside and had to be that had to be broken up by the seconds, uh, like all the young boys who who you know do all the you know young boy ring attendant stuff. And then they resumed their fight backstage, and it got to a it was so bad it got to a point where Masao is ready to go out to re- wrestle his match but in his entrance music is playing Spartan X is playing in the, in the arena, but he has to go back. He has to stay in the back area to break up this fight between Vader and Kobashi. That's how bad it was case.
1: Well, if you didn't respect Kenta Kobashi already, the fact that the two notable seemingly shoot incidents we have of him on record are him challenging Stan Hansen and Vader to fights says everything you need to know about Kenta Kobashi. What a man of guts and moral fiber. Well, I think maybe, you know, uh,
0: you know, stand, standing up to Stan Hansen is a lot more, you know, not, not as, it's a lot more uh, notable than standing up to Vader. Like, you know, Vader doesn't have like the best reputation as being a tough guy backstage.
1: <laughs> that's very, very true. Good point. So, well, I, you know, but hey, like
0: he didn't take any shit from anyone. That's that's the thing you got to admire the most about Kobashi. And, I, and I'm always like, listen, if you're a wrestler, it's all the work. It's all a carny business. But hey, if you don't like, let people run roughshod over you whether you don't let promoters do that or other wrestlers do that especially veteran wrestlers I, I got a lot of respect for you absolutely uh let's continue with burning burning lose the tag titles to the aforementioned uh mike barton and johnny ace on june 9th in sendai in a very fun tag team match uh kobashi loses his challenge for the triple count against masawa on june 11th in Budokan hall uh burning regained the titles from Masawa and Ogawa on October 23rd in Nagoya, and I, I gotta say, like as much as I like the Masawa Ogawa versus Kawada Taiwei match, I love the the Burning versus the Untouchables. That's what Masawa and Ogawa are called in in, uh, in at this time because my God, the hatred between between Akiyama and Ogawa is absolutely palpable.
1: <laughs> so I don't know if I've ever seen this match cuz the the other two real notable things from 1999 not to get ahead of you but I I'll, I'll mention them here of Kobashi Nakayama versus Takeyama no More and then the finals of the tag lead with Kobashi Nakayama versus Taui and Hansen I love both of those matches but I don't know if I've ever seen this Masao and Ogawa versus Kobashi Nakayama match so I got to add that to the list as well
0: uh like like obviously you got the great you know chemistry the, of the long, the long history of Kobashi Masao but to me the stars of the match are Akiyama and Ogawa because they just established really early on in the feud between burning and the untouchables like the factions because not it's not burning is not just Kobashi and Akiyama. it's also like Kentaro Shiga and who else is in there uh, mossman maybe and and then and then on, on the other side is Masawa uh, Ogawa Kakihara and someone else i forget one more person i d- d- maybe satoro osako i forget but like there's a there's this like uh they do this gimmick where they're going to draw they're going to have a f- series of four matches against each other right four singles matches each member of each of the unit and and ogawa draws out like uh no akiyama draws ogawa's name and he just takes the ball and he just throws it cuz he wanted a Sawa. <laughs> and ogawa was like I'm not going to, it just gets pissed. Like I have this on tape somewhere lost in my, in my, you know, God awful, like collection of VHS tapes of wrestling. Doesn't look as bad as Dave Meltzer's collection of VHS tapes, but (laughs) trust me, it's, 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 it would be very hard for me to find this, this, this angle that they run, but the Ogawa versus Agama is, is like an amazing part of that tag match.
1: Yeah. That's something I'm going to have to check out. That seems delightful. Um. Yeah, so you talked about the No Fear match,
0: the Omori and Takayama against Burning. That happens on October thirtieth at Budokan Hall. That's a great match, and of course, the Real World Tag League ninety nine finals. Um, they go to the they go to the finals. Burning do they win the whole thing by defeating the really unconventional but really fun tag team of Kira Tawe and Stan Hansen, and it, it's just like <laughs> I watch this, this this their run, especially like at the end of every real world tag league finals. They they do a recap of the entire tournament. It's like 15, 20 minutes, usually a video recap. And I love watching these things and like Tauly Hansen just going in there and beating people up, even though they're both kind of broken down in 99, Hanson more so than, than Tawai. but it's just fun. Like, I think like teaming
1: with Tauly kind of revitalizes Hansen. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. Cause I, I think for most of the guys on the roster, you can look at the '99 Tag League, and you can kind of close that chapter of their career, where they're they're hanging around All Japan in 2000, but they're not really doing anything notable. Like I can't think of a Tawei match in 2000 that I'm a big fan of. Hansen obviously retires very shortly after this match. Akiyama is in a in a holding cell basically until Noah forms. But Kendo Kobashi's 2000, like he kills it at the end of 1999 with all of these great tag matches. And then he rides that momentum into the new millennium and is far and away the most entertaining part of the dying days of the original All Japan. Yeah. So speaking to
0: his 2000, so Burning win their title offense against Vader and Johnny Ace on January 10th in Kumamoto. Uh, Steve Williams and Vader, though, come back. Like Vader comes back with Steve Williams as his tag team partner and they win the tag titles from Burning on February 2nd, uh, 2000 in Kobe. Uh, Kobashi beats Vader to win his third Triple Crown Championship on February 27th at Budokan Hall, a great match. He finally wins the Champion Carnival in 2000 by defeating Takao Mori. Takao Amori in the finals. And it's a thing. This is a it's, a, it's an interesting champion car because it's a single elimination tournament. It's not a round Robin tournament, but he finally makes it there. And he has that on his resume. Thank goodness. And he, he defeats Yoshihiro Takeyama in a great match to defend the triple crown on May 26th in Igata. But you know, it, it's, you know, about a couple weeks later on June 9th, he wrestles his last match for all Japan before leaving to form Per wrestling Noah with Mitsahara Misawa Masawa and, and thus vacates the triple crown and and maybe he's still the linear triple crown champion case
1: well yeah let, let me let me say this real quick unfortunately WH I am running a little short on time so maybe maybe we pause after we we talk about the the all Japan the end of all Japan here and I would be more than happy to come back and talk about Noah and Kobashi if you'd like at, a, at another time but it's an incredible end of the year because this is a promotion where Maybe it's just history and me watching all of this in hindsight, but it does feel like there's a dark cloud hanging over 2000 All Japan when you're watching it because you know what's about to happen with the exception of when Kobashi's in the ring and he gives Vader probably his last great singles match. He gives Amori a rare great singles match. Sorry, never been a Takawa guy, but I really like their singles match in 2000. And then he and Yoshihiro Takayama crush it in what... I would have to say is probably the last great all Japan. It would be the last great all Japan match of this era, which is incredible to think about, but Kobashi really has a strong year 2000 up to, and then through the Exodus.
0: Yeah. Well, with that being said, we'll, we'll let you go, but like, Okay, like, thank you so much for for joining us here. I'm gonna finish off with uh, some more notes about uh, Kobashi's career, but we'll definitely have you back on the long and winding royal road to, to talk about a, a match of your choosing down the line for sure. Uh, just not the uh, the 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 June 9th uh, tag match. That's for John Pollock. <laughs> yes, but we'll, we'll, Maybe maybe we'll have you on. Like maybe we'll talk about the uh, the
1: the Can-Am's All Asia Tag Match. Maybe in the future we can. God, I would I would hate to steal that from Alan Forel. I think I would feel guilty about it, but we. We could, we could definitely come up with something because there is a, a, a long list <laughs> i'm sure i can find a different match for alan to wax poetically about <laughs> yes. i'm sure
0: there's some like uh, obscure like sioshi kikuchi versus masanobu fuchi <laughs> match that happens in fucking uh, fukuoka that he wants to review instead who knows you never know with alan right so you've seen so much wrestling it's it's, oh, it's, it's but where can more incredible. people find thank you I, you you're this was awesome but where can more people where can people find more of your work
1: Oh, my goodness. Uh, if you dare follow me on Twitter, I am at underscore in your case. Uh, and and there I have, I guess, a variety of, of opinions on wrestling in general. Uh, all of my writing can be found over at VoicesOfWrestling.com. And most importantly, if you like hearing my voice and you want to hear me talk about something other than All Japan Pro Wrestling... Every week on the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network, a former uh, uh, guest of another WH Park program, Mike Spears and I host the Open the Voice Gate podcast. There is not a better resource for Dragon Gate knowledge in the English language than what we do. Uh, We are currently working on some Masato Yoshino stuff to prepare for his upcoming retirement. So we're on slower weeks. We're reviewing classic Masato Yoshino matches, but every single week we come to the table uh, with everything you need to know about what's going on in Dragon Gate, which is the most exciting and arguably hottest promotion in Japan right now. So I, I would highly recommend the Open the Voice Gate podcast, where we've been really proud of the work we've been doing there lately. And WH Park, thank you so much for having me on. This was an absolute blast.
0: Yeah, we'll definitely have you back on the, you know, Pros wrestling on something I do. And, and I just want to throw out my endorsement for Open the Voice Gate. Like, honestly, if you want to get into Dragon Gate. And, you know, you're kind of like, even though they have English commentary with Jay, like, like, trust me, like if you need to get some, some background, if you need to get some history, check out like the archives for Open the Voice Gate, check out the work that Mike Spears and Caselo and do. It's incredible stuff. And like, I think you're, you two are like two of the, the best voices at voices of wrestling, because like everything you say is eloquent and and well-researched. And and it just makes me uh, glad that you guys are still doing open the voice gate still and just bringing the Dragon gate love to everyone. And, and I'm always happy when you appear on a podcast, either of you appear on a podcast with me. So that's, it makes me happy.
1: Thank you. Thank you very much. That's a a very kind of here. I'm going to dip out of the zoom call and I hope that you have a good time talking about Kenta Kobashi for the rest of the night. Thank you. Case. Talk to you soon. Thank you. Goodbye. Bye. All right. With that being
0: said, uh, thanks to you, Case, for joining us. Um, but we're going to continue on. Uh, some interesting notes. We're going to wrap things up with some interesting notes about Kenne Kobashi. Uh, so one thing that was, I thought interesting in in uh, my research of him is that he wanted to uh, a move. He wanted to find a new move to replace the Moonsault as his finisher since it was taking a toll on his knees. So he thought he'd emulate his rival, Stan Hansen, and use the Lariat. So an interesting note of that is that Hansen took him aside and told him that, hey, the Lariat is a one-shot move and make and to make sure he does it in a way that it it, it believably finishes the match, which I, I got to say, Keno Kabashi probably, you know, More than fulfilled that wish from Hanson says he developed his lariat by practicing on steel poles and he developed the strength of his chops by practicing on concrete walls. Very interesting. And I can believe that story. Uh, Doctors would later tell him to stop doing the machine gun chops, but he refused because he said the fans would be disappointed in not seeing him do this these moves in his matches, even on like you know smaller shows and like maybe in Nagoya in in Hokkaido or in Niigata or somewhere like that. Um, moving on to his 2000s after he leaves All Japan for wrestling, uh, in 2001, Ken Kobashi gets knee surgery and spends the next 395 days in rehab to, to prepare, to prepare for his ring to a NORA, uh, his return to a Noah ring. In his return match on February, uh, in 2002, he suffers a rupture in his left ACL and would be out another five months and wouldn't return to the ring until July of 2002. Uh, it's in in 2003 that he finally wins the GHC title from Mitsuhara Misawa on March 1st, 2003, and has the greatest title reign in that belt's history. He has 13 defenses of it and holds it for 735 days before losing it to Takeshi Rikio. This coincides with the height of Noah's popularity and quality in ring, in my opinion. In 2006, he is diagnosed with kidney cancer. He has surgery to successfully remove the cancer and returns to wrestling 546 days later. On January 20th in 2007, he has surgery uh, performed on both needs, badly needed surgery uh, that, that uh, was long due in happening. September 9th, 2008, he has a delayed ulnar nerve palsy of the right arm. Surgery was performed on the elbow joints, and, and, you, and he was again absent for a long time. Uh, January 5th 2010 he is diagnosed with cubital tunnel syndrome February 9th 2012 at the charity event for a recovery from the great east Earth, uh, east japan earthquake a uh, show entitled altogether kobashi teased with uh, kashimido to win the victory but was left with a left tibia fracture and right me- uh, medial collateral ligament injury and a right tibial contusion during the match and again was absent for a lengthy period until finally in May of 2013 uh, he retires and that's a hell of a career he has like as I said before, this is like an all Japan podcast. It's not about Noah. So we don't really go into the greatness of his run in Noah, but like go check out a lot of his stuff. It's, it's, it's it's rarely available out there for, for free. If you want to really do some deep dives into Kenno Kobashi and pro wrestling Noah along with all Japan. So let's close things off. I'm going to talk about the title history and awards that this man has won. He's been all Asia tag team champion four times. He's been all Japan world tag team champion six times He's been the Triple Crown Champion three times. He's been the GHC Tag Team Champion twice. He's been the GHC Openweight Hardcore Champion one time. And finally, he has been the GHC Heavyweight Champion once, but that was for a reign of 735 days. He's been a six-time Match of the Year winner for the Wrestling Observer Awards in 1992, 98, 99, 2003, 2004, and 2005 he's been a four-time wrestler of the year wrestling observer award winner for 1996 2003, 2004, 2005 and finally he's been two two times tag team of the year wrestling observer awards in 1995 and 1999 with Misawa and Akiyama and i'm going to end things off with my top 5 all Japan matches that you should watch of Ken and of and also of his top 5 Noah/other matches that you should watch from after he leaves all Japan. So for, for all Japan, uh, April 20th, 1991, Akira Tawe, Jumbo Tsuruta, Masanobu Fuchi versus Kenne Mitsuhara Masawa, and Toshiaki Kawada in an awesome six-man tag team match. Uh, May 25th, 1992, Dan Crawford and Doug Furness versus Kenne and Siyoshi Kikuchi. Uh, July 29th, 1993, Kenne Kobashi versus Stan Hansen. Uh, June 9th, 1995, Akira Tawe and Toshiaki Kawada versus Kenne and Mitsuhara Misawa, And finally... Uh, October 18th, 1996, Kennekabashi versus Toshiaki Kawada. Those are my five Essential All Japan matches involving or having Kennekabashi in them. Uh, top five Noah slash other matches. Uh, uh, March 1st, 19, uh, March 1st, 2003, Kentakabashi versus Mitsuhara Misawa. Uh, July 10th, 2004, June Akiyama versus Kenta Kabashi. Uh, June 18th, 2005, Kensuke Sasaki versus Kenta Kabashi. Uh, November 5th, 2005, Go Shizaki and Kenta Kabashi versus Katsuhiko Nakajima and Kensuke Sasaki. Uh, and June uh, 14th, June 14th, 2008, Katsuhiko Nakajima and Kensuke Sasaki versus Kenta and Kabashi and honorable mention goes to his ring of honor match that he has on October 1st in 2005 against Samoa Joe, one of the greatest matches of his career. And that will wrap it up. Thank you so much to case. I wish he could have stayed for the rest of the show. I will say like uh, behind the scenes, kind of peel back the curtain here that I had to start this show a little late from what we originally agreed on. So, you know, my no fault of his Please place all the blame on me for that but it was great having him here and we're gonna have definitely have him again on a future episode of the long and winding royal road and yeah like and you know like thanks for everyone for listening we're gonna have some news maybe about some merchandise coming up soon we'll see i I, i'm getting some word back about something that i have in the works for a while now uh but in 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 keep an eye out for that in the meantime like listen to post perez with me and john pollock and usually a special rotating guest for the post perez bonus and keep an eye out for whatever the next match in the series of the long and winding road will be and until next time i'm wh park and i will say until then thank you and goodbye